What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network Young boy Joshua Smith here, accompanied by special guest host Chris Samsa. On today's show, we'll be reviewing nights 15 through 19 of the G1 Climax 33 and covering all the latest in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all this all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT browser extension, the only extension for njpwworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. And uh, yeah, you guys are hearing it. Um, I am recording not a solo show, but I have a guest accompanying me. We didn't think this could happen, but... I think we figured it out. Chris, how are you doing? Where there's a will, there's a way, Josh. And look at you coming up. Your camera looks clear. Your voice is coming through like it's the end of the G1. <laughs> we did it. Look at you. I'm I'm so, I'm so proud. I'm so, so proud. Yeah. And, um, you know, just peeling the curtain back a little bit. Last time me and Chris did a show together, I sort of had him doing um, producer duties. And we had so many technical difficulties. Not his fault, just like the stars were not aligned that night. And when we got done, I was like, are me and Chris still friends? <laughs> that, I didn't, I didn't consider that to be a failure. We, we figured that all out. It was just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm set up to record like three to six minutes at a time because I have, um, a history in the music industry. Mm. Um, I'm not set up to record three hours at a time, though. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure I could figure it out, but um, I just don't want to. So I so here you are recording. We're on Zoom, which is, you know, old school as it as it gets as when it comes to video chat. So that's another peek behind the curtain. So we're going, we're going vintage. 
I've never used them before. Like for me, it's always been uh what's the other one? It's well, there's like there's Google, there's Teams, every you know, everyone's got everyone has something now. Skype. Skype. Skype, I guess, is the OG. That's the one I always used to use. That's how like tech savvy I am, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think people still use Skype. Uh, I don't know. I never, whenever I do, a, so like, I obviously don't have my own podcast, so I have, I'm, I'm inconsistently on different things. Right. So like, right. I never, re- I never really know what link is going to come through. So I try to be ready, but when you sent zoom, I was like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't remember the last time I used the zoom. So I go to open zoom and it's like, yo, this version of zoom is way too old to do anything. So I had to, had to reinstall, but here we are on, on the, the day I guess day after the G1 climax has ended and um, my adrenaline has not worn off yet. And so if, if we were to do this tomorrow night, you'd get a very tired version of Chris or or, or just annoyed because I want to put it in the back in the background. But here we are on the day of excited to do a semi instant reaction that people will then hear two to three days later. So. Yeah, it's great that you guys are getting that we're getting to record so early. You know, we are recording um, on Sunday, August 13th, which is a little earlier than what we normally do during the week. Um, Some of the good news with that is, you know, essentially we'll be able to put this out. You guys are going to be able to hear the, the show sooner. Some of the bad news with that is we're not going to be able to do questions and the news and the rundown and everything like that. But um, you know, we're going to get through it. I, I think next week I have another special guest host coming on and we'll be able to address some more of the, those sorts of updates and everything, but, um, let's jump into it. So Chris, um, over the past week, um, we've had five nights of G1 climax action. Um, I know we want to definitely focus most of our attention on the finals here that just took place, but we do have to do a little bit, of, uh, housekeeping and still address what took place during the block finals. I know it seemed like a million years ago at this point already. Even though it was only five days ago. Um, yeah. Yes, it does. It feels like feels like a very long time when you're thinking about things like block math. And uh, then the whole knockout stage was kind of a tournament in its own. So, I mean, if you think about it, there used to be, what, 16 entrants in the New Japan Cup. So we basically got most of that uh when when it really comes down to it we got eight an eight man tournament which is more than aew is running for their uh women's division right now so (laughs) not that i want to go in and talk about that but um no you go ahead talk about it i you know you can't it's not really a tournament if there's if it's just qualifying matches for one for one match so I love the product and I'm looking forward to Wembley, but oh, that's not still not a tournament. We got <laughs> we got, you know, four blocks around Robin that we we finalized out and then we we built up an entire uh, knockout stage and then we went through it. So, yeah, there's there's plenty to talk about. So um, but yeah, so those those block match nights, they they do kind of feel like a really long time ago. But now that I'm looking at the results, there's there is some fun stuff to talk about here, especially especially that C block main event. Yeah, what I think I'll do here, I'll probably just run through the results and then we can sort of have a more holistic discussion and run through each night. Um, So night 15, which was the C Block final that took place on August the 8th, uh, 2023 from Yokohama Budokan. Uh, The attendance here, 2,360 reported. And uh, the results were as follows. Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeated Kato Kiyomiya and Rio Oiwe. Rio Oiwa. Uh, Bull Club War Dogs, Alex Coughlin, and Gabe Kidd defeated Tomaki Hanman Toriyano. 
Strong style uh, trio defeated uh, G.O.D., Hikaleo, and Jado along with Shoto Umino. The TMDK team of uh, Fujita, Shane Hayes, Zack Sabre Jr., they defeated the Chaos team of Goto and Yo along with Oscar Luebe. And then um, L.I.J., Bushi, Naito, and uh, Yotasuji, they defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi, Master Wato, and Togi Makabe, which brought us to the final four matches of the C-Block Tournament. Um, Tomohiro Ishii defeated Mikey Nichols at 13 minutes and one second. Both men were eliminated. Tamatanga defeated Hanari at 14 minutes and 30 seconds, which kept him alive in the tournament. Uh, following that, David Finley, along with Ghetto, defeated Eddie Kingston 16 minutes and 34 seconds, eliminating Eddie Kingston and uh, securing a spot for David Finley into the uh, final eight. And then they made an announcement on the evening that should Shingo Takagi defeat Evil in that match, that they would have an automatic play-in match between Shingo and Tamatonga for later in the evening. But if Evil won or drew or anything like that, he would uh, continue on. And he did defeat Shingo Takagi 17 minutes, 40 seconds to be the second entrant from the C-Block. The announcement that happened before the main event was the most important thing that happened on this night for me because it established the plan for an unbreak quote-unquote unbreakable tie going forward and it was like right. pub- public it was in there and like we you know we had i had hypothesized and i had talked to people like joe lanza and we had thought that they were going to do that in the a block to get another kiyomiya match in but um and i'm sure we'll talk about kiyomiya because there's there's plenty to talk about there but um establishing that within kind of the the true public canon of of new japan was really helpful for me going forward as i continue to you know potentially cover and analyze these g1s and help people figure out who's going forward at least i know what the option looks like but also that main event had a little bit extra oomph behind it then because people wanted people in the building wanted an extra match right like why wouldn't you want that even if it's tamatonga versus shingo and you know there's not a ton to you know, ton of backdrop there, but it could have been an interesting time. So um, I think it added a little bit of heat to the match. And I think that that, you know, that was one of the more fun evil matches that I've, you know, experienced. And I think evil has evil, you know, you're going to have your opinion about evil, whatever it may be. And I think evil truly has great opponents. He doesn't necessarily have great matches. He's not there to do that. Um, but he has opponents that people want to see win. So when you put evil in the ring with a guy like Shingo Takagi, that people really want to see win and advance, especially if it then means potentially another Shingo Takagi match, you're going to get some heat. So, and I, you know, the, the, the match was a mess. It was the same thing. It always is. This one had LIJ run-ins too, as well as all the um, house of torture guys coming off of um, coming off of commentary and coming out of the crowd. Um, but it had, I mean, the crowd was so, so very into this match. So it was hard not to kind of get behind this one in particular. So had a really great time with that. And honestly, like, I think I called it on our uh, preview show that I did with you guys here. I mean, David Finley going through was kind of my lock of the tournament. So right. seeing seeing him beat Eddie um, wasn't necessarily surprising, though. I, I also thought that was a good match. And I thought it, it really rounded out a, a really solid tournament from Eddie Kingston. I thought he 
he really stepped up and 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 showed up in a way that I I didn't necessarily expect him to. Um, I knew he would be like the emotional guy, but I think we got we got a lot more out of him there. So, and I think that there's more to come there too. So, Seabock um, turned out to be what everyone thought it was going to be: big beefy boys slapping meat, right? Like, but um, some really you know standout stuff, just good solid G1 style wrestling. And of course, you've got you know Tomohiro Ishii in the in the mix there too. He had another great tournament, even if it didn't turn out to be. Uh, a, a successful one, which is pretty typical for Ishii's G1. So, yeah, um, a solid night of action in Yokohama here. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with most of that. Um, I thought the Ishii and Nichols match was a little bit underrated, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I didn't think Mikey Nichols necessarily knocked it out of the park every time he was out there during this tournament, but the one thing he did do is every time he was in there with one of these, like, you know, traditional never style bruisers, he went to war. And that kind of fit into the theory that I had of why he might fit in better with this block. And um, the, this match with Ishii might have been his best match of the tournament, um, which was very fun and, uh, you know, pretty hard hitting. The Tamatonga Hanari match was fine. It just was what it was, but it, it did set up uh, Tamatonga being eligible to still go through depending on how the math fell, like you mentioned. Um, I enjoyed Finley and Kingston for what it was. Um, you know, like, you know, what's funny is there were all these uh, fan voices theorizing about Keito Kiyomiya maybe being like recruited by New Japan and everything. And I always felt like that was unlikely, but I kind of get the weird feeling like I wouldn't be surprised if down the stretch, AEW like let him go to New Japan and he just kind of comes over here. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, I do. I I think AEW really loves having him on the on the shows too, though. I mean, I think he's got a really valuable role there. Um, he's kind of the thread between a lot of different things that happen in that company, and but it kind of a confusing thread in a in its own way with the Moxley Claudio stuff. And right. I know he's he's really he's probably going to get really ingrained in in whatever Ring of Honor looks like going forward. So there's plenty of work for Eddie Kingston to do. And I I, I also know for a fact I know that you know, new Japan will take him whenever, whenever and wherever he wants to be, especially after this G1, which was, which was solid enough. And I think he really got the fans behind him too, with some of the shoulder content that he was able to put together. Meeting Kawada was really cool video that they put up. And, um, when he did commentary too, um, the next night, uh, he was just so engaging and then just like thrilled to be there. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think AEW would let quote unquote, let him go, but I could see if, if there's a gap in his schedule or a time that they don't need him on the calendar, I could see him spending plenty of time with new Japan doing all sorts of different stuff. He could be an ambassador for the brand for the U S basically, because people love him here too. Well, you know, like there was, uh, the recent, uh, thing with the, uh, Man, what am I trying to think of with their uh, with the contract situation with uh, Aussie Open? They ended up signing and going to AEW. So there's definitely um, some leeway as far as like people potentially signing with one company or the other. And there's all this speculation. A lot of people think that perhaps Will Ospreay, when his contract's up, he might sign a contract with AEW, that sort of thing. I personally and I don't know anything directly but i just wouldn't be surprised if his contract came up and he's like you know what i like it in japan i'm going to new japan like that's what i'm saying um and i think he would really fit in really well if that ever did happen 
Yeah, or he could keep doing kind of this this style of stuff. He could do kind of tour by tour. I mean, if he could link up with someone and do a World Tag League event, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be G1, right? But like a full tour that I could see him doing would be something like World Tag League where, you know, he links up with Ishii or Nagata or, so, you know, someone that he pays so much deference to and they make a team and they have a run at it and maybe they win and go to Wrestle Kingdom and he gets to wrestle in the dome, you know, like, I mean, that's the type of stuff that you could see um, New Japan starting to work out because he's he is sort of ingrained in the fabric of both both uh, promotions. And I think that's a really neat place for him to be. Well, um, Finley definitely, uh, you know, fulfilled his uh, destiny here, uh, wanting to beat the man who beat the man that he should have beat with the whole story revolving around Jay White's exodus from the company. So he picks up a, a quasi clean win here, pretty much almost totally clean over Eddie Kingston. And then the main event, um, the match with Evil and Shingo Takagi. I know you had some thoughts on it. I saw a lot of outrage, not just at the uh, at the outcome, because a lot of, obviously Shingo is beloved and a lot of people wanted to see him go through, but also the the decision to have Evil go through from a booking perspective. Uh, the quality of the match was very much under fire from fans. This was one of the more controversial decisions of the entire uh, G1 Climax in general. I personally, and this is just my feeling, I and I, I, I saw some of your uh, tweets, so I, I know you kind of feel similarly, but we haven't uh, spoken about it. I thought the match itself was great. In fact, I thought that this was one of the best evil matches in a long time. Obviously, um you know on this podcast we've kind of buried evil quite a bit and i'm not a huge fan of the house of torture shtick in general but there are those times where the shenanigans build up and build up and build up and and the drama escalates and the crowd gets into it and with the stakes that were involved like you mentioned plus the outside interference from lij coming in to make the save and you know, the, the twists and the turns, was it overbooked? Absolutely. Was it a, a Vince Russo special that you could have seen in TNA in 2003? Like, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it was still highly enjoyable. It just unfortunately fell in a, in a certain way to where evil picked up the win. But must I remind the fans listening, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but we've seen this kind of match many times where evil loses in most cases. And on this particular instance, he just happened to be able to squeak by. He low blowed uh, Shingo Takagi and picks up the win, but the crowd was super invested. The drama was super high. And then once the, the rest of the tournament unfolded, it made a lot of sense why evil was the guy to go through me personally. I would have loved had it been Shingo, but I think the scores and the, 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 the reviews and the ratings I saw for this were you know, being a disaster and a, you know, a, um, a train wreck aren't, they're, they're not really indicative of what I saw on that night from, you know, as far as my enjoyment of the match. I mean, so here's the thing. Evil coming into this match was three and 10 in G1 main events all time. Like that was his G1 main event record was three and 10. He had lost five straight G1 main events. So, I mean, and that, that went all the way back to the final block night of 2020 when he lost to Sonata in the main event. So we are looking at almost three years, wait, 2020, 2021, 22, four years, four whole tournaments of, G of evil losing in the main event, which is 
it lines right up with when the when the turn happened, when House of Torture was formed and 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 evil left LIJ. All of those losses led everyone to believe, oh, this is this is just gonna be another evil match where um, you know, all the shenanigans happen and the baby face is the winner, right? And that's all of those matches happened to build to this point where you were like, well, Shingo's got to win, right? Because evil always ends up losing these big main events. And I don't know how many people actually realize that, but that's, that's what they've been taught by what has happened in the past. And then he's got to pull one through at some point. So, because otherwise it just becomes a joke and it had kind of gotten to that point. And now everyone's back to talking about evil and how they feel about evil and how they feel about, you know, their beloved New Japan having, you know, the the sanctity of their New Japan being, um, being, you know, dishonored. Um, I there's there's been a couple of audio pieces that have spent plenty of time talking about how terrible it is and how meaningless it is that evil moved through to the top eight of a G1 climax tournament. I mean, your territory has to have a heel. Yeah. It doesn't work with a bunch of baby faces. It doesn't work with a bunch of wrestlers that you like, that everybody likes, right? So you have to do this. You have to put these guys into these spots sometimes. So, I mean, sure. Would I have loved to see Shingo versus Sonata instead? Yeah, probably. But I, I get it. Right. You got to mm-hmm. you got to do this stuff. You have to build up some heels because otherwise your top eight would have been Sonata, Shingo, Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., David Finley, Will Ospreay, Naito and Hikaleo. Like David Finley's the only real heel in there. I guess Osprey switches back and forth. Sabre tries to toe the line, but you got to put you have to have some evil in 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 yeah. yeah no no i mean pun completely intended like you have to have some evil in with all this good so and also honestly they they pulled it off and they pulled off the next one too um i think so. it kind of um also elevates the the block standings just a bit and i know that sounds counterintuitive because it of course it would be quote unquote more prestigious and to a lot of the work rate fans to have Shingo go through, you know, that's a more prestigious thing, but it would just be kind of chalk. Like the guys you're expecting to go through, go through. And then you're not looking at those block matches as having that, right. That reverence. But when you do something that's irreverent, it's almost like you, you've broken the sanctity of what these block matches were. They never had those block matches until recently, you know, at at least in the modern um, sense of the tournament. So it's like, Oh, wow. Like, you cross the line and it establishes that the line is there. So maybe going forward that, you know, um, people kind of uh, have higher hopes and expectations for, for these block matches. I mean, they just bought two years of people believing that evil is, is a reputable challenger again. And, yeah, pretty much. And to, to me, that's good. I think you got to keep these guys heated up. I mean, he, and he had downcycled for two years prior to that. He had been hanging out in the in the low cards. He's been doing cork and stuff, you know, cork and level stuff. And yeah, you got you got to drop these guys into some spots. And yep. I had no no issue with it at all, especially because it set up evil and Sonata. 
you know, and of course that's what we're going to get going forward again, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother ball of worms, but. Two things I didn't like that, uh, and we'll move on to the next night, but one I would have liked for one of these nights where they had one of these unbreakable ties for there to be that tiebreaker match that we didn't expect at the end. That would be cool. I think that's something they should think about doing in the future if they're going to continue with these formats. And then number two, it didn't make a lot of logical sense that Tamatonga didn't come out and try to make a save and rescue his own G1. He kind of looks like a fool for just staying in the back and letting evil in the house of torture pretty much ruin his tournament. For, for all we know, he had no idea what the rule was and that, <laughs> that if they had an unbreakable tie, he had another match. So he could have been in the shower, hanging out in the bus. He's got his headphones on, his beats are rolling already. That's why you know. that's why you have to you got to do like the Bill Watts. You have to sit in the back and watch the boys work. Otherwise, you, you never know what could happen. So um, <laughs> we move on to night 16, final block, uh, block night, D block action from uh, Act City Hamamatsu. The attendance was 2001. This was on August 9th. And um, House of Tortures uh, team of Evil and Show defeated Eddie Kingston and Yuto Nakashima. TMDK's team of uh, Kosei Fujita and Mikey Nichols defeated Kato Kiyomiya and Ryohei Oiwa. Uh, Hikaleo, Wato, and Umino defeated the Bull Club War Dogs, Finley, Gabe Kidd, and Ghetto. Um, the United Empire's Great Okan and Hanari defeated Tomoaki Hanma and Tomohiro Ishii. Strong Style Trio defeated the LIJ Trio of Bushi, Shingo, and Yotasuji. That brings us to D-Block action. Alex Coughlin defeats Toriano at five minutes and seven seconds. This was after quite a bit of lengthy brawling prior to the beginning of the match. Jeff Cobb defeats, or no, no, no. He goes to a double countout with Shane Haste at 11 minutes and 10 seconds, bringing him up to nine points, keeping him alive in the tournament, but um, putting him in a precarious position. Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Hiroki Goto in the semi-main event bringing him up to 10 points and qualifying him for uh, a spot in the tournament. And um, in the main event, Tetsuya Naito defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, at 17 minutes and 54 seconds to secure his spot in the tournament, uh, effectively eliminating Jeff Cobb. They also did make another announcement earlier in the evening that in the event of an unbreakable tie, there could have been uh, a play-in match, but that did not end up happening here. And the Cobb haste uh double count out was actually really clever and how they executed it was really clever too because haste needed to at least reduce the likelihood that Cobb would go through so by having that draw shane haste who's a member of tmdk with zach saber jr ended up um helping his unit mate um who had a chance to go through so it, it ended up being this kind of point of connection through everything which which is kind of brilliant um, that they actually used the the kind of unit layout uh, in their favor here to kind of balance the booking in a way that actually made sense. It wasn't just some random double count out. Um, it was it was very intentional from from haste and and Cobb knew what he was doing. So it, it, that was the story of that match, um, you know, and Na- then Naito and, and Tanahashi turned back the clock. I mean, this is the beginning of a great Naito run. I mean, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this knows how it all ends. Right. But um Tanahashi and and Naito they'd both had a, an entire week off um since their last match their their last match before this was on um August 2nd and this was on August 9th and they clearly got some rest and 
got themselves prepared and stretched out and ready to go. And, and they, they really did kind of turn back the clock to have a, a really, really, really solid G1 match. It, you know, the, the best version of a G1 match that you could imagine from Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi in 2023. So, yeah. you, you know, I mean, Tanahashi pulled out all the stops. We got, you know, high fly flow. We got um, aces high. We got, you know, from the turnbuckle to the, to the floor. I mean, he really gave, he gave Naito everything he could give Naito. And I think that that says a lot about how people feel about Tetsuya Naito in that, in that group. So, um, and, and probably where Tanahashi knows he is now. So that was, it was cool to see though. And it was good to see Tanahashi pull one out. I think he's been wrestling a lot. He's got a lot of singles matches and random stuff in the U S and, um, you know, and I get it right. You got to strike when the iron's hot and people still want to see you. But, um, I think this shows what, what Tanahashi can do if he's got a little bit of space and time to, to build up a match with someone who really knows, how to do that like Tetsuya Naito so um it was a cool night it was I you know I left this one on a little bit of a high too just with the Naito Tanahashi match really delivering way more than I thought it was going to Mm -hmm. yeah there was a lot of cool stuff it wasn't the strongest in-ring night uh for the first two block matches um but there was definitely story elements to kind of sink your teeth into so I mean even with um Yano came out and it seemed like he was you know probably intending to be jovial trickster Yano, but he got jumped before the bell by Alex Coughlin and uh, Gabe Kidd. And from there, like that just kind of, uh, you know, basically like, you know, it's funny because there's Liger and then there's the Keishin Liger alter ego. Well, like for Yano, there's regular Yano and then there's great bash heel Yano. And he like flipped that switch and, and turned into that guy and started bashing these guys with, you know, chairs and tables and kind of brawling all throughout the the building. And it's almost like this mythical alter ego that he has now. Um, and even at one point he, he threw a, he powerbombed Gabe kid through a table on the outside, right. which was pretty awesome and tried to uh, stab Gabe kid with scissors. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was towards the end, right? Yeah. Um, but ultimately he got caught in the jackhammer. So Alex Coughlin picks up the win, but at least we, you know, for those people that aren't huge fans of the bullshit that you get with a regular, you know, G1 Toriano match, you got the violent side of things. So that was a change of pace. Um, With the match with Cobb and Shane Hayes, I thought they were working pretty well together. The match was fine, but then obviously, like you mentioned, it ended in a double count out. And there's that story element where Shane Hayes is trying to keep, Zack Sabre Jr., the front man of his TMDK group, you know, his uh, G1 run needs to stay alive. In order for that to happen, he either needs to beat Cobb or at least keep him at just one point gain. Um, so I get the the logic of it, but it does suck to have this guy in the middle of the card in an anticlimactic finish where he's just getting held down by Shane Haste on the outside, especially considering how Cobb continuously has great G1s and then falls short for whatever reason down the stretch. And in this one, he uh, had big wins over both Naito and Zack Sabre. I'm not saying he needed to go through, but it just felt like such a whimper to the the tournament that he'd already had. You know what I mean? Well, that was the story of his tournament. He started, they, he, he got the hot start and the fall off. I mean, there, there's only so many different arcs you can have and you've got 32 arcs to book right now. So um, that was the Cobb arc. I mean, c- because he's a threat. He's gone through um 
He's gone through plenty of G1s where he has these big runs. He had the one where he broke the record for for the most consecutive. Yeah, but for how however long he went undefeated. So um that they're playing off of some of that history. And I, I think just, that that's I, I just personally cool. didn't enjoy the ending of the match. I would have liked something a little more definitive, especially since, you know, Shane Haste had a big win over Naito and is, you know, conceivably capable of beating him in some way. But if he lost, he was essentially eliminated. That's true. And the draw kept him alive. And it was a good story from Haste. It tied TMDK together, even, you know, a little bit tighter. There's, I think there's just a lot of threads there that, you know, I, I think the booking there was good. Um, you know, the other option was probably, yeah, haste beats him. And, you know, I don't know what that looks like going forward unless um, there, it, it, it wouldn't be a purposeful win if you're thinking just about the booking, because it's not like Cobb, Cobb doesn't hold a tag title. So you can't, you know, drop TMDK into a tag picture like all you're doing is really like extending the, uh, you know, a, a story that doesn't have any extension to be had. I just hated it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're wrong. So it's cool. <laughs> no, it's not even the, the booking. It's, it's okay to have an incorrect opinion every now and then. <laughs> it's not that the booking's bad. I just didn't enjoy the finish. I was like, ah, oh, womp, womp, womp. But anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, like, no one likes a, um, I like know, an 11-minute double countout. It's not the same as, like, a time limit draw. So it, it's not like we even got the drama of the time limit draw. But once you kind of keyed in on what was happening, it was like, can Shane Haste you know, he's established that he's not even going to try to beat him. He just wants to tie. Right. So he could either like run around for 20 minutes and do 20 minutes of Toriano shtick, or he could do this. So I prefer this. Um, The Zack Sabre Jr. and Goto match. Now they've had quite a few good matches together. Last year's G1 was, in my opinion, a standout match, but I felt like this one might even be better than that one. It was really good. And um, they had a great story, especially considering all the, you know, whether they're real or imagined uh, injuries that Goto had accumulated throughout the tournament. They really played off that quite a bit. And Goto turned it up big time in this match. But ultimately, Zach was able to get him in a compromised position with one of his crazy submissions and, you know, tap him out and win definitively. And I thought it was a very good match. And then uh, I loved the main event. It's one of my favorite matches of the entire G1. I did not expect Naito and Tanahashi to have a match this good. Um, and there were so many like little elements that were really great, like Tanahashi going for a quick roll-up to start the match. Yeah. That set the tone. And you, there were a lot of things where like Naito typically takes his time with maneuvers and you know holds on to things for a long time, but because of the the time limit with the 20 minutes and, and all of the uh, urgency that was there, they were both letting go of moves very quickly and down the stretch. Once it became clear that like Tanahashi hit the, the aces high twice and he went for the high fly flow and he caught the knees and the, and we're getting really close to the time limit. Both guys just started spamming like roll-ups and, you know, because they weren't going to be able to get their finisher on, on each other. And, Tanahashi came close many, many times to beating Naito, but ultimately Naito was able to outmaneuver him and hit him with that uh, spinning uh, tornado DDT. And throughout this tournament, he's been rolling people up with that, where he just he goes into it, but he goes through and does the roll up. But in this one with Tanahashi, Tanahashi took the bump and like 
got dropped on his head like a stack of dimes and then took the roll up and i was like oh he beat him it's incredible <laughs> the the sound yeah um, it it didn't sound great <laughs> <laughs> um it was alarming yeah um yeah it was one of those things where as soon as that happened i was like oh i hope that's the finish and then they actually counted the three and i was like oh thank god like because it was i mean it was violent um yeah, it was a cool, great finish it was a cool move it was a cool finish especially between these two with a ton of history um you know sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta do it like that so yeah i i i really really enjoyed that match i, I love that they were able to turn back the clock so that took us to the uh semifinals and the situation we fa- uh, found ourselves into was tetsuya naito taking on hikaleo and will osprey taking on david finley the winner of those two matches would face one another with evil taking on sonata and okada versus zack saber jr in the main event Night 17 took place on August the 10th from uh, Funabashi Arena. Uh, the reported attendance, 2,790 were there. There were um, several dark matches involving the Young Lions. Uh, Yuto Nakashima went through one of those uh, challenge series that we've been hearing about with, you know, you get a certain amount of wins and you get, what? what is it? What is the prize they get for that? It's like meat or like something. $2,000 worth of meat. Yeah, you get me and then yeah. potentially like a TV title challenge. But unfortunately, he um, went to the time limit draw with Oiwa and Luebe and then was defeated by Oleg Bolton in 52 seconds in the third match. We didn't get to see any of this, but that took place on that evening. Um, following that, on the undercard, LIJ, uh, Hiromu, Shingo, and Yota Suji defeated the Team DK team of Fujita, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Haste. Uh, G.O.D. Uh, along with El Fantasma and Shota Umino defeated the Strong Style Trio along with Hiroshi Tenzan. Bull Club's Alex Coughlin, Chase Owens, Gabe Kidd, and Kenta defeated Just Five Guys, Doki, Taichi, Taka, and Kanemaru. And then Eddie Kingston, Tanahashi, and Tomohiro Ishii defeated the United Empire team of Great Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb. Um, and then following that, they t- that, t- that took us to the quarterfinal matches where Tetsuya Naito defeated Hikaleo with Jado at 13 minutes and 11 seconds. Will Ospreay, accompanied by Great Okan and Jeff Cobb, defeated David Finley, accompanied by Coughlin, Kidd, and Ghetto, 17 minutes and 21 seconds. Evil, in the semifinal, defeated Sonata in 16 minutes and 16 seconds. And then your main event, Kazushika Okada, defeated Zack Sabre Jr., 21 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, so essentially coming out of this, we ended up with semifinals, Naito versus Osprey and Evil versus Okada. Yeah, this was I think people could point to this as a show that made them feel like it was kind of an old school G1. Yeah. Uh, right? Like you've got four block matches and some undercard tags that are kind of leading to stuff that's happening either tomorrow or the next night, you know, um, or just like into the future. So I think the pace of the show was really good. I think it was it was kind of classic that way. Naito Hikaleo was surprisingly good. Um, I just I think Naito like found it and just didn't let off the gas for the whole end of this tournament. So it was really cool to see if you, especially if you go back then, you start to look at some of some of the matches he had, you know, before the ones that we're we'll talk about. Like you can see him start to check in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and put it all together and then all of a sudden you know, uh, really the Tanahashi match, it's, he's, he, you start to look at Naito and you're like, oh, it's Naito. 
Like we're, <laughs> we're doing this. Um, and the Hikaleo match, I think was, was some of that too. Um, we got Hikaleo in there with a, a really good seasoned veteran wrestler. Hikaleo showed up for that and had a great, really good showing. And then Naito, you know, obviously pulled out the win. Osprey, you know, defeated Finley. He's given Finley that win in the past. Uh, but this year was not the year for that. Evil going through over Sonata is another one of those. I'll, you know, I could, I'll send you back about 15 minutes in the podcast for my whole spiel about evil. Um, same, same feeling though. I mean, you could send Sonata through, have Okada knock out Sonata, do Okada Sonata again. Like I had that all laid out, sent a tweet out. I was like, here's, here's what I think might be going down. It's just three Sonata Okada matches all at Ria Goku um, this year, which would have been kind of a neat arc to have, but um, not the direction they're going. I think, you know, Sonata is up to some other stuff and maybe they don't want to give Sonata a really big scalp right now. Um, they want to just keep him busy and keep him winning. So um, one, you know, having evil knock him off with, you know, unclean means. I think that that's one way to, to knock out your champion. And, uh, of course, Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. was fantastic. I mean, like they just, they went back, uh, to what they do best too, and, and really just put on a show. So yeah, quarterfinal night was really, really a fun time. Um, solid matches and, and it is nice to get the undercard tags back in as all these block matches have gone on too. I mean, it's just kind of, um, it, it, it's the, the vibe of the, I guess the last, what, seven G1 shows was more similar to what I think people typically expect. Yeah. And one thing, um, I noticed about the undercards, we're going to talk about the semifinal and the final night here in just a moment. There was a lot more story elements that were playing into the undercards there, sort of setting up what we're going to see on destruction tour. That wasn't so much the case with these other undercard uh, matches, but because a lot of these guys were rested, hadn't been on the tour and they were in front of larger crowds at this point, we really got a lot of super fun energetic undercard tag team matches that were breeze to just go through in, in a one hour time span, almost every night with very little to almost no bad matches whatsoever. So, I mean, uh, some of that stuff might be like skippable in the sense of like, yeah, it's not required viewing, but I watched all of it. I thought it was great across the board. There was a lot of energy from everybody involved in that uh, aspect. Yeah, I mean a lot of easy to watch stuff on the undercard for all this stuff. So and 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 you're right, as you go through the semis and especially the final night, I mean, we got stories for days. I mean, right. literally. It's a it's a very long list of um forward forward motion here. Now I do agree with you that I felt like Naito turned it on in this match with Hikaleo, but I do disagree in a certain respect. I didn't think Hikaleo looked good in this match whatsoever. In fact, I thought Hikaleo got lost multiple times throughout the match and also had several miscommunicated like botched spots that I was like, what is going on in this match? So much so that I was like, I know that I uh, last week on the show, I kind of voiced my displeasure with him being the one that got through, but that was more just personal preference because I wanted to see some of those other guys go through. But at this point on this night, granted it was only a 13 minute match, but like, I felt like he was lost out there with Naito and Naito was had his working boots on and was trying to make a match out of it to where I was like, damn, he might not be ready for this level. Maybe he's not the guy that should have gotten the nod here, especially if, you know, whoever did go through, whether that was like 
Umino or Suji or Gabe Kidd or whatever, they would have been losing to Naito anyways. Yeah, but then you're putting one of them above the others. And I would have been I, fine I just, with that. I know I know you would have been fine with that. Clearly it's not what they were trying to do. They like they they deadlocked that group basically. Right. Uh, so well, well there's always Kiyomiya, who should who should be above all those guys anyways. Should he? I I think so, yeah. Why? Uh because he's the ace of Noah. <laughs> What has he proven in a blue ring? <laughs> he was great in the in the in the block. He was arguably maybe the standout guy in the A block. What did he but who did he beat? He beat Suji and he beat who else? This man came over from as Noah's ace and went two, three, and one. Right. And that's the, that's that's, that's that, bad. That's, <laughs> that's bad. very bad. That's bad booking. Is it? it? Yeah, it's bad booking. It's by who? By Ghetto. Uh, did Gato? I mean, Gato it's also it's all it's also bad mismanagement. This, this man from is Noah. not under con. This man's exactly so. It, it, it's both. So everyone who's been complaining about Noah burying Kiyomiya through I don't know the you know starting with the Mudo stuff, right? Yeah, they're just Noah's still got shovels full of dirt for this guy apparently because that there's no way Kiyomiya goes over and. You know, to what benefit does how does it benefit New Japan if Kiyomiya goes over strong? Well, I mean, the only thing with that is if it hypothetically could do more business down the down the line with the uh, matches between the two companies, it, that might be mutually beneficial hypothetically. But, yeah, but that you have to know that you've got that in in pocket. And I just I don't I don't think there's actually anything in pocket. With there might two. not be, but yeah, like. So, and I think everyone thought there was because uh, we don't always see outsiders from domestic outsiders in, in G1. Um, but I mean, I mean, and, if, and, if Hikaleo showed up on this night and looked like, you know, what he maybe the way he did against like Jay White when he when they had their match and really turned it on and had a great outing, I, I'm right there with you. But, but it would. But, but he he looked terrible on this. But hear me hear me out here. It's it's you. I I know that you're an in ring guy more than anything. Like that's yeah. really that's really really important to you. I think that that's think about Hikaleo as a better version of Bad Luck Fale. I don't know that he is a better version of think Bad of, Luck Fale. Hikaleo's ceiling being that of a better version of, of bad luck folly. Right. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to analyze where he's at right now. Sure. I'm trying to analyze where they want him to be and of what course. role, what role they want him to play in the company. And that, that to me is that's the role. It's this monster guy that can beat anyone on any night, but also can easily get outsmarted and lose. And you have to, again, this, this, the 2023 G one climax is about 2026 and 2027. It's not about 2023. Right. But I mean, obviously you had to run the tournament, which is why you still got guys like Tetsuya Naito winning the tournament. But all the work that got done on the undercard is the stuff we're going to talk. We'll be talking about in four and five years. I, and I my dogs agree. <laughs> I agree with you. My my thing with it is, you know, how other people were upset about the G1 because like we mentioned, evil went through and they're like, oh, that's bad booking. And maybe to some extent it is. I mean, they're the, wrong. <laughs> to me, putting Hikaleo through when he's not ready is maybe more detrimental because I feel like for a Tetsuya Naito, sure. a guy, 
him going through and having the win over not a Hikaleo, but having the win over Kiyomiya is a bigger deal. It's a big, bigger feather in his cap. It's a better path for him to have gotten to the finals than to have gone through Hikaleo. If Hikaleo was ready, which I don't think he was, but then it would be fine. I just didn't think he was ready for this spot from what Hik- I saw. But Hikaleo's clock is ticking a lot faster. So if they want he's to older, get, yeah. Yeah. So if they want if they want him to land in this position for a couple of years, even you kind of have to just throw him into it and see if it works. And it to some extent it did. He got a ton better. Uh I think he looked a lot better in the tail end of the tournament than he did at the beginning. Um that's you know, true, but he also I, got booked stronger down the tail end too. Well, maybe that helps, right? Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's his role. His yeah. role is to be this guy that gets booked strong. <laughs> um, his role is not to be a you know seven foot jobber, uh, even though it sort of is. But you have to make something out of that because he's got that look. Yeah. So, and now you're going to see him team up with ELP, and they're clearly cycling down to, you know, the strong tag titles aren't exactly top of the card stuff, but it'll be an establishing thing for, for both he and ELP and maybe it'll be something fun. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, when people say it's bad booking, all I'm hearing is it's the booking that you didn't want. Right. It's not necessarily bad. No one's looking at this objectively, um, including myself. Like my, my investment is in the long-term health of the story side of new Japan pro wrestling, because I think that's, what's most interesting. So, I look at this tournament and I think, well, I didn't have a ton to work with in, in, in my role with the company and with my role with the broadcast team. Like A Block, I had, there's no history to run with, right? There's nothing yeah. to draw from. Um, but so I have to, you know, I, I'm a glass half full guy. So I'm going to look at what's the positive out of this. And the positive out of this is that they weren't ready to elevate one of the quote unquote three musketeers. And, you know, Kiyomiya got geeked. And that's on Noah. That's not on New Japan. And Hikaleo was the last guy standing that wasn't Sonata. You know, I mean, like, and and he's a guy that he might disappear too. For all yeah. we know, he doesn't have a long run. This might have been a Jonah style run through the G1 to get yourself a nice little slot in the in the quarterfinals and get bounced by someone who's going to go on to win the tournament. So the long term gain of all of that is. You know, I think that's healthy booking, even if it's not perfect and it's not exactly what you're looking for. Right. If they wanted to if they wanted to run this tournament with no with no progression for any of these younger guys, they would have run a 20 person tournament and they would have left them all out, citing the fact that they were all young and they just came back. They wanted to do this. This was very important to the long term and 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 the the forward looking people in the in the in the New Japan offices. Well, I've always been high on Hikaleo. For his potential but like you said the the clock is ticking and it, it to me it's just one of those situations where it's like it's put up or shoot up sh- shut up you showed up you're here you gotta deliver i didn't felt feel like he delivered in this particular spot and looking back in hindsight i do think that it probably would have been better for them to have kiyomiya in there just because it's a but then sp- but then kiyomiya got ate a loss to a big Tetsuya Naito and he still had any and then he just had eaten a loss to Kazuchika Okada like for all we know that's 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 more palatable in a certain respect because he's losing to the bigger stars it is but you expect that to all go somewhere and I don't think any of this everyone wants all this to go somewhere I don't I I have a theory that that kick to Okada's face and Okada going nuts on him at that show was real was real like <laughs> I mean it the kick was it was it was far too stiff 
And we've <laughs> never seen Okada that mad. So there's a big part of me that thinks that happened. <laughs> that happened. Okada got pissed because he just got kicked in the dome. Yeah. And and he went off on him in a way that was like storyline and and in safe places. But he I I have this theory that Okada went sort at least a little off script and people made this big thing out of it. And then, you know, and he'd already been geeked at the crossover show, right? When did they, when did, when was the Kiyomiya Okada match? Was that the Mudo show? Yeah, it was at the Mudo Where show. Where Okada just like murdered him. So he just murdered him again. And, and I don't, I don't, I, clearly there was no plans to ever go back to that. Well, part of, part of it, when you, you talked about good booking versus bad booking and, and everything like that, I, I do agree with you. I think it's all relative to what you're looking for. Um, but, I do think that there is probably an aspect where it's like, all right, you're New Japan, you're handling someone else's top star, maybe for the sake of the fans and then also for the sake of like, you know, people wanting to work with you guys, you you give them a little. I'm not saying give them everything, put them in the finals or whatever. I, I do think it would have made a lot of sense to put him through. He's like the most established guy that wasn't Sonata in the group and then have him lose to Naito. And I think the match would have been better, especially since I just don't think Hikaleo was ready for this spot on this night because he was fumbling out there. Um, but we'll agree to disagree. Um, the match following that, Will Ospreay and David Finley, was fantastic. I don't know if it reached the same lofty heights as the title match that they had last year, but I liked it better than their G1 match from last year. And seeing, um, you know, David Finley fully formed into this role, taking on um, Will Ospreay, I thought they had a really, really great encounter. And we started to even see David Finley, you know, utilizing a lot of cheating tactics in this match because he's tried to beat Will straight up as, you know, this new Bullet Club incarnation, and he, he hasn't been able to do it. And there was almost too many stakes at, at, uh, at play here. So he kind of like delved into the trickster bag a little bit. And we were not used to actually seeing that from David Finley uh, at this point, really. Yeah, he he pulled out the stops, right? Like he had been this kind of just bruiser who is just taking over and, and and you know, getting after people that way. But he clearly knew that he couldn't he, you know, maybe Osprey's his his next big, you know, that's his next big scalp. His uh, mountain. Yeah, I mean, in this role, right? Because he got the one win over him um, in the G1 last year. But, you know, before that and and since then, it it doesn't feel like they've matched elevations. Like, Will yeah. is on this. Will is still on this trajectory. And even though Finley's in a much bigger spot now, you know, there's some work to do there. And I think he's doing that work and he he's getting there. But, yeah, I, I also agree, though. I think this match was good, like pretty good. It wasn't like... Um, it didn't like captivate me, but I, it, it, I didn't lose my attention. If that makes any sense. Dave Meltzer gave four and three quarters, which I think is like a little out there, but he's got, he loved it. Dave's got a new Osprey bump. Yeah. He loved like, yeah, he does. He definitely has one. (laughs) I mean, Finley and Osprey is a great matchup. They have, I mean, every time they get in the ring together, like there's intensity, there's heat, there's, um, there's a lot of energy. And it's clear these guys just genuinely, I think, like each other outside of the ring and they give each other a lot. Right. I think so, he's Finley's best opponent in New Japan. He, he, yeah, I, I, 
Yeah, I mean, I think Will Ospreay is everyone's best opponent in New Japan, though. So that's there's kind an of, argument for that too. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> maybe not, maybe not everyone, everyone, but I'm looking at everyone who's in the G1 that he's faced, and I'm like, yeah, Zach, okay, Naito, yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a second. You know, like run like, down, who's run your, down the line. Who's <laughs> your best opponent, Ishii or Osprey? Yeah, or right. Other? Are you an Ishii guy or are you an Osprey guy? I mean, that's almost. <laughs> that's almost what it comes down to. Cause like everyone steps up against Naito Tanahashi and Okada. Yeah. So you're so on, you know, besides that you're either an Ishii guy or an Osprey guy or both. And the, the ones who are both are the ones that are really going to going to shine. So yeah, but I, I do, I like this matchup. It's a little clunky when they're both heelish, you know, and I think Will's like really face leaning these days, but right. um, you know, I'd like to see them with a full on, baby face and heel dynamic the other direction because what we when we when we really saw them shine was when will was truly playing playing full heel and and finley was this like super scrappy underdog well david finley walked out initially with coglin and gabe kid and you know back. yeah they ended up with that and great O'Connor and jeff cobb came mm-hmm. out to even up the score and at a certain point cobb got involved he got sent to the back and that that caused issues and then later on there was the ref bump and you know, so there were a little bit of shenanigans, but uh, still palatable. But ultimately, it's like meaningful shenanigans, though. Yeah, because it ended up. I mean, it sort of ended up setting up what'll be the strong tag title program. Um, Essentially, yeah. So at least, so at least there's that, um, or at least a part of that. So yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. But Finley tried many, many times to get his finish, but ultimately was unable to secure that, and uh, Will ended up beating him with the. Uh, Stormbreaker for the one, two, three. Following that match, we had Evil and Sonata. Um, you know, I know it's a little bit of a wash, rinse, repeat from the night prior, but I got to tell you, I liked this match a lot less than I did with the Shingo. Um, I was anticipating personally that Sonata, whoever he fought here, would go through. Mm-hmm. And I thought that w- what the plan was was okada beats him and then that would set up the title match for later on and then that would make it much easier for my projected winner naito to beat uh okada because then it's like well okada lost but he's got this title shot secured down the line and uh they didn't go that way which actually in some ways this is probably more interesting than that is but um i didn't i don't know I've never really loved Evil and Sonata matches just in general. And this one in for me kind of felt flat. It it suffered from a lot of the same um supposed issues from the night prior, but with Sonata and him, they just didn't seem to gel. This was kind of all over the place. And then um ultimately, you know, Evil beat Sonata. I didn't think the crowd was super into it. I didn't love this match necessarily. Yeah, it was it, to me same with with evil and sonata like i just don't i don't connect with that duo um i think people want there to be a lot more meat on the bones there because they tag together for so long but um it's just not there it you know they're 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 fine opponents but they they don't have any sort of like emotional connection um besides the fact they've wrestled 430 matches together um (laughs) So like people connect them and I think want that to be a more interesting match than it is. So yeah, same. I don't have a ton more to say about it because I don't want to go back on my evil soapbox, but the, um, the main, know, the main event though was fantastic. Um, Okada and Zach really turned up here 
And I'd actually seen some of the, the reviews prior to this. I was a little bit spoiled and I was like, you know, this match is going to be blow away. This people are freaking out here. And then for the first five minutes, it was mainly Okada control segment. And I was like, huh, like, no, I'm not really getting into this match. But then like the last five to six minutes, it turned up so hot with all these crazy reversals and everything that I was just like, oh man, Okada and Zach just, they've got a special kind of chemistry with one another. I really, really wanted Zach Sabre to win here just because he's a guy that I I really am pushing to potentially like do well in a G1, go to a finals or hold the big title at some point in time in the future. Uh, I know it doesn't seem likely that that, is going to happen, but I just, I want it to be the case. And so I wanted him to beat Okada so bad here. And I was like living and dying with him. And then when he, when he ultimately got beat, I was a little deflated, but the match itself was fantastic. And um, yeah, Okada's really turned it up down the stretch here too, as well as Naito did. Yeah. And there's a part of me that thought if Zach could win, if Zach won, he was submitting Okada. Like that, that was what was going through my mind. Like he wasn't going to hit a Zack driver and, and pin him. Like he was going to submit him and it was going to eventually be part of the fabric that, that brings us to Sabre versus Danielson mm. um, kind of part of their story. Plus, you know, maybe Okada, you know, you build some sort of story there where he's now he's able to be submitted because it has happened, you know, twice. But um, I thought that would be an interesting kind of, offshoot of what could happen there but ultimately i i kind of figured that okada was going to go through here but i think i agree with you about where zach saber jr sits kind of in the in the promotion because but i i really see him as that guy that could absolutely go to a g1 final like believably and then have a really great match with whoever's on the other side no matter who it is especially someone at that level and they could have that match in a g1 final even if it's someone down the line if it's someone like osprey you know and they just they run back a ton of their stuff and it's like what we saw earlier today right you saw a really good version if not the best version of naito versus okada um you could run back another one of those classic matchups as a g1 final at some point and do Osprey versus Zack Sabre or even Naito versus Zack Sabre. Um, some of these guys that he's got a ton of history with, or even Okada, if you want to get back to the Okada side of things. So I, Zack Sabre Jr. is going to be one of those guys who's always on the cusp. Maybe he gets one of those little runs. Um, you know, I there was a part of me that thought they should have just given him a, a COVID run like they did with Shingo, because <laughs> um, that is equally interesting. But, you know, I love I love what Zack's doing right now. And I love where his character's at. I love where the where the matches are at. I mean, I, I really do feel like he's on top of his game and he's really kind of, he's filled out. He looks like a heavyweight. He's super believable, um, but he's still got the TV championship. And and that I think is right. really good, really good for him too. And um, you know, they didn't really set anything up uh, throughout the tournament for that until, until the final night, which was a whole kind of out of the, out of left field thing. But um, yeah, of course this match was great. These are two of the best wrestlers in the world. Well, they really delivered here, and that brings us to night 18. So the semifinal evening, um, we finally get to Ryogoku uh, Koku Gugikan. Sumo, sumo Hall. <laughs> sumo Hall. Um, this was yesterday, August the 12th, uh, reported attendance 6,579. Uh, there were 
three dark matches. We did not see them, but it was part of that meat challenge series where Oleg Bolton successfully defeated Ryohei Oiwa, Yuto Nakashima, and Asuka Lebe in subsequent matches to not only win the series and the challenge, but also secure a number one contendership spot against Zack Sabre Jr. for the uh, NJPW World Television title. So that's pretty cool. Um, on the undercard here, we had Hayata from Noah teaming up with Keito Kiyomiya. They defeated Hiroshi Tenzan and Master Wato. And um, one thing, ever since he got ousted from the A block, uh, Kevin Kelly's gone in kind of hard on uh, on Keito Kiyomiya on commentary. It's been pretty noticeable. <laughs> I mean, he's in the first match every night, so he gets full energy. Oh man, strong! Uh, after that, the strong style team of Minoru Suzuki and Ren Narita they defeated Shota Umino, Tomoaki Hama, ten minutes and eighteen seconds. There's a, a running story where you know Ren Narita coming out of the A block is sort of, um, it maybe not quite pushing it to his full potential, and and Minoru Suzuki is sort of noticing that and kind of challenging him to to be more and to do better uh, in the post-match comments. So that's kind of been a running story here on these undercard matches. Um, following that match, the Bull Club team of Alex Coughlin, Chase Owens, David Finley, Gabe Kidd, and Kenta, along with Ghetto, they defeated the Chaos team of Goto, Yano, Yo, Yoshihashi, along with Togi Makabe, 10 minutes, 48 seconds. Following that, the United Empire team of Okan, Hanari, and Cobb defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Yotasuji, 10 minutes and 57 seconds. And then you're um, following that, Eddie Kingston, Tanahashi, Ryazuki Taguchi, and Tomohiro Ishii defeated the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita, Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, and Zack Sabre Jr., and then your final undercard match, uh, GODs, Hikaleo, Jado, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa teamed up with El Phantasmo to defeat just five guys as Doki, Sonata, Taichi, Takamichinoku, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. Before we move into these um, top two matches, was there anything on the undercard worth noting that that I missed here? I felt like there was a couple things that um, happened. Nothing that doesn't really play out at the finals. Right. Um, I do... Oh, you know what? There was the thing with um, Bull Club where... Uh, Coglin and Owens were standing tall over Chaos, over Goto and uh, Yoshihashi holding their belts. Obviously, that's not, they're not going to be the next challengers, but it does seem like they're potentially setting up to be the challengers after the challengers down the stretch that, that might be in line here, but uh, sure. that, that after, remains to be seen. After TMDK. So um, for the semifinals, we had Kazushika Okada. He defeated Evil with Dick Togo, 18 minutes and eight seconds. And um, I, I enjoyed this match. I liked it a lot. Again, I didn't like it as much as I was into the, the match that he had in the block final evening with Shingo. But I thought they did a great job here with him and, um, him and Okada. And the crowd on this night was so hot for this match. And they, they wanted Okada to win so badly. <laughs> I mean, the crowd on both of the last two nights was vintage. I mean, like really felt like pre-pandemic New Japan crowd, like crowd uh, engagement. Absolutely. So, like, and that, that, that makes the evil matches so much more palatable mm -hmm. than silence i mean like <laughs> um 
I, I'm not going to, but there's a part of me that wants to go back and watch Evil when he he won the title um, to like just straight up silence in, in Osaka Joe Hall. Um, but either way, yeah, there was a lot less of the run-in stuff um, than the Shingo match, but the Shingo match was kind of like max capacity of like shenanigans. Right. Um, but it was, it is nice that whenever it's the Okada match, it does seem to come down a touch at least. Um, Okada is, he, he's not willing to make himself look like a dumbass. Yeah. So I think he probably just like vetoes anything that he can't, um, that he, that he, you know, knows he could just like simply get around. So it it is nice to see that kind of level of effort. These are the match types that I think people could stomach a little bit more frequently. Um, but either way, um, yeah, it was good. It was it was a good semifinal match. Everyone wanted Okada to go through. Again, you're building that fear within people. How far are we going to go with evil again, right? <laughs> and it's the reactions that you see. I mean, like people try to hide it in saying like, oh, I just don't think it's good for business or whatever. Like, right. get out of here. You're a fan, okay? You're a fan and you're enjoying this and, and you're reacting exactly the way people want you to react. Like, don't give me this X-Pac heat bullshit. Like, you're getting worked and that's okay it's okay and it's fun and it's exactly what we're supposed to do so um i love it and i love that okada won here because i do want my g1 final to be a classically great pro wrestling match i'm always going to want that for that particular match but i can totally see in a world where semifinals exist think about these if they were the two block finals yeah right? essentially i mean and that's kind of that's their slot right think about these two matches like they were if they were a, a 10 person block final that you kind of just like sporadically and randomly got there and it wasn't this, you know, eight person knockout round, people would, people would have loved it. Um, so and I, I just think once you simplify the tournament into a single elimination, people really understand what's going on and they start to freak out because they start to see a pretty clear path forward. And here was the evil roadblock named Kazuchika Okada, of course. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, um, with evil depending on how far they go they've already gone all the way with him one time before and but that's the only reason you believe that they would go all the way with him now right and it's something where fans like damn it please don't go back there please don't do it so back to my point so 2020 even though i i don't think this was the intention everything that happened in 2020 was actually about 2023 hmm Right. It was about when crowds came back and could really cheer and really get into this stuff and get heated. And honestly, they were with it for at least evil's last two matches were last three matches really were hot. Um, Even the Sonata match. And we know Sonata's, you know, crowd response isn't exactly right at, at that at the loudest, you know, decibels. So. The last three evil matches were exactly what, you know, what you could want. It's way more fun watching from home, too, when the crowd's going nuts because you're laughing at them. You're like, y'all, like you're going nuts about this evil dude. It's, <laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun for everyone. And and I think that that's it's important to remember that and not to try to hide behind like some fake business metrics that you probably don't really know because this company is privately run in, in Japan. <laughs> now, I don't know that um you know that ultimately they're ever going to go with evil again you know i don't know that they're ever going to do that but hypothetically if they if they did you know that might be the point where i'm like this is a mistake 
that's where I would have feelings. <laughs> but because they've done it one time in the past, it, it kind of like establishes for me that, um, you know, that this is something that's uh, always going to, yeah, it's always going to be possible. The threat that it's always going to be there and, and, you know, it, it's fine. It's, but they had to do that. So this all mattered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, no matter when they heat evil up, because they did that, everyone's going to be like, "Uh oh, are we doing it again? And then you get, you know, hours upon hours of audio content, including your own. (laughs) Now, um, one thing I did like with Okada is uh, essentially, like you mentioned, he's not willing to make himself necessarily look bad. Um, This is almost (laughs) like Hoganism to a certain degree because they did all the run ins and then he beat all of them. He just drop kicked them all. And then and then he won. <laughs> but the crowd loved it. So it was the right time, but the right stage to do something like that. Evil did hit everything is evil. He did. And, and the air came out of that building. When when he hit that, the air, I mean, that building was deflated because people don't kick out of that finisher. People really don't kick out of most finishers in New Japan. When, if you hit them clean, right? There's the wacky Destino and there's the short arm Rainmaker and you know, everyone's got like a subpar version of their finisher. Evils, apparently. And what I didn't catch when it happened, he did this one with his left side. So it was like, so normally he's got the ar- the right arm around them and he does the move with his right leg. He did this one from his left. So I guess the left side everything is evil is the weaker version because then Mm. Okada kicked out and then but I didn't know that and I didn't really notice that because it's kind of an odd thing to notice it was like his lucha version um and so when Okada kicked out I mean that was the moment of the match for me where I was like I gasped I was like okay thank god you know like because I was like oh god they are gonna go with him (laughs) you know like uh, that maybe the g1 finals where that's my level of being like that's one step that's too step. far <laughs> like you saved the title i i'm a g1 guy right so like oh man i was like oh no don't give me don't give me that in the final even if i really am certain he's not gonna win so but yeah he hit his finish and then okada you know he did he's the best right 2.99999 right like and just barely lifting the elbow or the the shoulder up and then from there it was all okada and, you know, once he kicked out of that, I knew it was I knew it was his match to have. Yep. So uh, Okada ends up winning 18 minutes and eight seconds, securing his spot in the finals and a potential berth to uh, three beat this tournament. And then your main event of the evening, Tetsuya Naito defeats Will Ospreay, along with Great Okan, Hanari and Jeff Cobb, 29 minutes, 58 seconds. And boy, oh boy, this was um, for me. Uh, the best match of the tournament and my favorite match Naito and Will Ospreay have ever had against one another. I was blown away at this match. This uh, it's my favorite Tetsuya Naito match of all time. And there might be some recency bias happening in my brain, but I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Um, I just thought, I thought it was an, a, an incredible match. The finish was a display of selflessness and of willingness to do whatever it takes to 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 give you know the fans and new japan exactly what they were they were expecting and i thought that that was so high level i mean it was just it, it was high level 
from a kayfabe perspective. It was high level from an insider perspective. And you kind of got to see, you know, how much this means to these humans, right? Not necessarily their characters, but this performance meant a lot to both of these humans. And they they absolutely crushed it. And I'm not a I'm not a star writer. I think I've talked about that on this show. Like I don't that's not how I look at or, you know, that's not how I consume wrestling, mostly because I'm busy consuming the next show um while I'm watching this show. But um I don't know. I, I got I know Osprey and Omega were really, really great matches for me and for my enjoyment of wrestling. I this gave them both a run for their money. So I'm not sure exactly where this will land once I start voting and whatever, you know, match the years. But it's on it's on the very short list. I might need to rewatch um and take my feelings out of it in the sense of like, you know, I love the G1 and the G1 is something that that I, I put a lot of time and effort into, but man if this wasn't one of my favorite matches of all time like it was so good and this year's been so good for high level matches um and the 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 safety issues and the the long-term health of of the wrestler issues and things like that like there's certainly conversation to be had there um i don't know that i'm qualified to have that conversation but just seeing them get through whatever the situation was um you know, Naito went the next night, so and and wrestled and looked fine. So, like, I have to believe that there's, you know, that that he wasn't totally out. Um, but it was very interesting to watch happen and to to get a little peek under the hood as to how it all happens. And I thought the commentary team, you know, they did a masterful job covering for some of the things you might have been hearing um, while while you were going through while we were going through that finish. But um, yeah, I mean, just two dudes at the top of their game and Will Ospreay just giving everything he can to uh, to make sure that this was, you know, one of the matches of the tournament. And, you know, again, my favorite Naito match ever, potentially my favorite match of this year. Yeah, I, I'm not willing to go quite as high and say it's my favorite Naito match of all time. I think that would probably be reserved for like one of those two... 16 2017 G1s. Yeah, those, those yeah. Kenny Omega the matches. The Kenny Omega matches, yeah. But this is... In that conversation, and I wouldn't fault anybody else who feels that way because I'm five stars on this, and I very rarely—I know you don't give stars, but I do. And yeah, I, I, I don't very hear you, rarely. I don't hear you throw fives very frequently. So, um, like almost I think, never. <laughs> I think what got me on this one compared to the Naito Omega matches was that this one I watched live. Oh. Like I was, I was up and watching this. I watched the last, you know, four or five shows like totally live. Um, and so that was, um, so I was like really in, in engaged with it. So I think that that helped put it over that edge for me. In in either case, this was just incredible. And, um, there was something that took place down the stretch and it seems like there was a series of hook kicks that were, uh, coming from, um, from Osprey to Naito. And at some point, one of those must have connected uh, extremely strong and just knocked Naito loopy. If it wasn't that, then there was a point later where he went for a uh, maybe uh, a forearm or maybe he was getting ready to set up for a Destino, but he he got uh, super kicked is straight on in the in the face there and i actually thought he might have already been out before that but if he wasn't yeah. before that then he definitely was there 
And it was kind of unclear at this point what was happening, whether the match was starting to kind of take a turn for uh, maybe Naito was getting hurt. And the thing with it is when you're watching it, the drama is so high. The crowd is so into it. And like you mentioned, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charles are doing a great job kind of covering for some of the stuff that's there going on there. But if this guy wasn't hurt, they were either doing the greatest sell job that I've ever seen for somebody in a match, or he was legitimately knocked loopy because there starts to be these moments of kind of wobbling down the stretch. And normally I'm, I'm a little bit critical of some botches and things like that, but the, the match had been so epic up to this point that they, this almost kind of like fed into the brutality and the grittiness of the match that had already, you know, preceded it. And then Ultimately, I think like Osprey down the road because he had to lose, he essentially destinos himself. He hoists Naito over his own head and gives himself the destino because I don't think Naito could give him the destino at that point anymore. No. And he pretty much had to beat himself. <laughs> he looked like he was wrestling Yoshioka. <laughs> like, it was I mean, so... he... it was... I rewatched. I rewatched that finish three or four times because I was just fascinated by it. Also, it was even, I, I don't know. I don't know if it added to it or took away from it, but either way, it was great. But um, it's compelling. Yeah. If one way or another, it's compelling. The, the drama um, was super high here. Yeah. Like, and the building was, I, we haven't heard a building like that since 2019. And, and one one thing we hadn't made maybe maybe new beginning 2020 with Kenta and, and and Naito like maybe that was the last time we heard a building like that but it's never that if it's not in Ryugoku that building when it's hot is insane and that added so much to this match for me too. Well, we also hadn't made mention of the fact that uh, you know, up until this point, Naito had never beaten Osprey one on one in a singles right. match. So that's also kind of like playing into this as well. And there's a lot of really great moments in this match. One point where Naito goes to the top, tries to give a top rope poison Rana to uh, Osprey. Osprey literally lands on his feet all the way through, which was just outstanding. And then um, it kind of became a battle of like hook kicks and. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Um, hidden blades from Osprey and then uh, the, the, the back elbows from Naito. And they, these guys started just slugging each other and killing one another. And yeah, it, this was just outstanding, incredible. And it took three Destinos from Naito for him to finally put away Osprey. So just uh, incredible. One of my favorite matches of the entire year. And I think it is on that short list for match the year contenders. Um, that's going to take us into the final night, which happened earlier today. From Ryogoku Sumo Hall, the attendance, 8,283. And quite a few things happened on this show. Um, in the opening match, we had Keito Kiyomiya and Ryohei Oiwa. They defeated Oscar Luebe and Toriyano. Um, one bit of news that I, I noticed, I didn't watch the backstage comments, but I saw that Kiyomiya seemed to be inviting Oiwa to potentially show up in Noah. 
Yeah, that seems to be the plan. So, you know, that's one thing I will throw out there. You mentioned, you know, I don't know if there's going to be continued stuff between them, but there's at least enough for them to bring Oiwa over at least for some, some period of time. I mean, it's, I mean, what's funny about that is that Oiwa is like significantly bigger than Kiyomiya. Like <laughs> he, he's a big dude. He looks more, way more filled out. Um, clearly not quite as skilled, but um, it is a kind of funny look. They teamed together all throughout the tournament, seemed to have issues putting it together. But finally, on the final night, they were able to uh, secure victory here, which was great for them. Um, following that, we had eight-man tag team match. Master Wato, Shota Umino, Tomoaki Hama, and Yuji Nagata defeated the Strong Style Trio, along with Yuto Nakashima, eight minutes and 41 seconds. And we had some stories coming out of this where it seemed like post-match... Um, not only throughout the match did we have a lot of heated interactions between Ren Narita and Shota Umino, but then it kind of spilled over to where Nagata and Wato were getting involved with the strong style trio who are, you know, uh, are they? No, they're not the current reigning. I, I kept thinking no. that they're six-man tag team champions. They're not. But at the end of the match, we still got you know, like a face-off and all of them brawling. And it seems like that might be leading to a six-man tag team match regardless. Uh, yeah, I would imagine it, it will. That does seem to be the the way. They're also going to run separate singles matches sort of connecting those two groups too. Yeah, we've seen Suzuki and um, Nagata a million times in the past. So that's like old country beef. And then um, yeah. Desperado and, and Wato are both kind of looking for something to do in the meantime while, you know, trying to further their their you know campaigns in the junior probably division. yeah maybe to establish a uh home promotion um junior heavyweight title challenger because right yeah. now everyone everyone that could challenge Hiromu or would likely challenge Hiromu is um from different different companies also one one thing I want to point out Yuto Nakashima boy has he beefed up Holy he's beefy crap. he's a big boy now yeah he's big so, um, but that was really great. Um, following that, we had another eight-man tag team match. Tenkoji teaming up with Tiger Mask and Toby Makabe defeated Eddie Kingston, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yo. Um, didn't have any big story elements that I saw here, but you know, the big thing, Eddie Kingston's run in New Japan seems to be done for the time being, which uh we've had a, a great time. I I especially loved a couple nights ago at the post-match where he uh celebrated with Tanahashi and then there's that famous picture of him hugging Ishii, a stoic Ishii. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like emotional Eddie just trying to hold on to it. <laughs> Following that, um, the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita, Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeated the chaos team of Goto, Yoshihashi, Oleg Bolton, and Ryuzuki Taguchi. Uh, some big uh, pieces of news coming out of that. They announced that uh, Kosei Fujita is no longer going to be considered a young lion coming out of this match. Um, so that's big news. Also, Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes were the ones that secured the victory over Goto and Yoshihashi in this match. I don't remember who pinned who. I think Goto lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that seems to be what my brain remembers. I could be wrong, though. I don't have so, the falls in front of me. Regardless, it, it sets up um, TMDK as being the number one contenders for the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles moving forward. And then we got our first uh, glimpses of Zack Sabre Jr. and Oleg Bolton across from one another, (laughs) setting up Oleg Bolton as the number one contender for the world uh, television title. It'll be fun. 
Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Or, you know, they said they wanted it to be a youth title. It's going to, they got yeah. a youth challenger. He's, he's, yeah, it'll be fun. Whatever it'll be, it'll be fun. I, I hope that they don't even tease a time limit, but let's have a good time with it. Uh, following that, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo, Jado, Tamatonga, Tangaloa defeated the Bull Club team of Coglin, Owens, David Finley, Gabe Kidd, and Kenta. And coming out of that match, it seemed to be that El Fantasmo and Hikaleo are being established as the next challengers for the strong openweight tag team titles, as well as uh, looks like we're getting a rematch between David Finley and Tamatonga for the uh, never openweight title. Yeah, I mean, that those were all very clear directions that were that were coming out of this. And I think that there is a I mean, as always, the G1 final is this big. Um, it's not a really a blow off for anything except for the tournament. It's it's this big table setting show for everything else. So and and honestly, the tournament sets the table for Wrestle Kingdom, too. Mm-hmm. So so it is people go back and forth on whether or not um dominion or the g1 final is like the second biggest show of the year i don't really have an opinion because i think they're totally different shows i think you know dominion's always finalizing a lot of different things and the g1 is almost always just starting everything right you're you're finishing up the tournament but that's all so crisp and clear and there's purpose behind it there's not there doesn't need to be a lot of um conflict that goes into the G1. It's a, it's a, you know, established tournament that people want to win. That seems good enough. Right. So coming out of that and going into the G1 final show, it's all set up for future stuff. So that's why these matchups were actually so kind of intriguing. And and this show, even though it's, uh, all eight men tag, Oh no, one 10 man tag and a bunch of eight man tags. Mostly it's, there were 56 wrestlers on this card. Like, almost all 56 came out with something to do after here. It was, you know, when you talk about Russo-esque booking, that was one of the things he actually did do really well is he always had people, everyone had like a thread. And that was kind of what this show led to. I mean, very few wrestlers on this show, as I'm looking at the results, didn't come out of it with something to do later. Absolutely. Um, Following that match, I got lost here. Let me see. (laughs) We had another uh, tag team match. It was the team of uh, LIJ, Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, and Yotasuji. They defeated the United Empire team of Great Okan, Hanare, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay. 10 minutes and 50 seconds. And the big surprise turn here was that Yotasuji got a clean pinfall victory over the um, current reigning champion, Will Ospreay. And I'm not sure exactly what championship he holds because... Up until now, he was the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship, uh, but the fo- the previous evening he unveiled in the post match comments that he has a new title belt and it's the IWGP United Kingdom Heavyweight Title, and that's the belt that he's proclaiming to hold. I don't know if that's an official change or if, I don't know if this is Lance Stormism when he was the U.S. Champion and he put the Canadian you know flag over it. I don't know. It's a pretty real belt. It, it looks better like, than the one they it, had. Well, the U.S. title had seen better days. It was clearly on its last legs, but you can obviously get a new, you know, physical belt made. But um, it looks pretty legit. That's a pretty big investment to make. So um, 
But I think uh, even potentially by the time people hear this, there will be a show probably announced it's happening in the United Kingdom. Um, That seems to be what everyone's alluding to in various places. So I I have to wonder if and there's also just the biggest pro wrestling show of all time happening in the United Kingdom coming up soon. So I have to wonder if uh, Osprey is working with the company to kind of leverage some opportunity here so even if they don't change the name of the title or even if they do you know i think that leaves rev pro in a weird spot i thought about that yeah you know because and rev pro is one of their best partners so you know i mean you can't, it would, it you can't one... have multiple champions of the british <laughs> yeah i mean it'd be one thing if like you know they had another i mean it's so specific because the rev pro title is the undisputed british uh-huh. british heavyweight, heavyweight championship. championship yeah and now now all of a sudden you know osprey has a iwgp uk right. title and that's gotta be you know seen as the more lofty title so it is a little strange um considering okay. his history with that company i i have a theory and it's way it's out here it, no one can see me but it's way out in, out in left field okay so osprey's the u.s champion right well maybe Osprey has been the U.S. champion, right? The United, right. the United States, right? Yeah. Os- Osprey gets this belt made and says, "No, I'm the United, the U.K. champion." Right? Belt looks almost the same, different flag, says a different thing. You know, good looking belt, right? For as long as Osprey is holding it, maybe it's the U.K. championship, no problem. Like whatever, Lance Stormism. I, I totally think that that's a a route you could go here. But then once somebody beats him you know maybe someone like someone who looks like a really famous intercontinental champion of 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 times before if he beats him and holds both belts and it's like us uk intercontinental and shota amino brings back the intercontinental title um that Hmm. could be a cool and the shota and will thing and shota looks like tanahashi tanahashi was a big time intercontinental champion somehow this could be a long-term play to get the IC title back and to really babyface Shota Umino because bringing back the IC title would be like when Cody did it in, in WWE. Um, See, when you said that somebody looked like champion of yesteryear, I thought you were talking about Suji looking like Nakamura. I was like, oh yeah, I can get on with that. Oh, sure. He could do it too. <laughs> That's fine too. I, did, um, I guess this means that somebody needs to actually go and pick up that u.s title and actually carry that around it for the time being as well somehow and and bring them back together and turn that into the intercontinental instead of having um a u.s or a uk belt i think that's probably a long shot this is probably not that deep when it comes down to it and maybe they are just trying to revel uh leverage you know both either the maybe the wembley show or um i think by the time by the time people hear this, Royal Quest is probably announced. Um, and I think that's probably happening in October when it has happened in the past. So um, there's a chance, though, that it's something interesting like that to get that white strap back. Maybe. Fun. But I do think that there's definitely something there where you mentioned that they're going to be leveraging potentially the Wembley show and sure. some, of the, some of the other dates that they have going in the UK around that time. And I mean, it doesn't get defended in the U.S. anyways very often. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
but I am glad that they've got a cleaner looking title. Um, going back to the Suji thing though, I had no anticipation he was beating no. Will here. Like no. When when I saw them in the ring together, I was like, okay, like this is awesome. This is this, fun. Yeah. Th- this is the cool thing you get with these undercards. You get to see these young guys with their first time interactions with the big stars that they're probably gonna feud with down the road. That's great. And then I, I fully expected Osprey to just beat him. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking too much about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I guess you have other like Bushis there who could take the pinfall, but you know, maybe, maybe it's time for Suji to just do the honors. And then suddenly like spear spear. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, he won. I was like, why didn't I think of this? Like, so it seems like he's going to be the next challenger for the U S title or the UK title. So. Right. And awesome. I think that's your main event for Royal Quest. That's awesome. And then and Su- and Suji just did he just came exactly. back from his excursion in Rev Pro. People love him there, right? Like there's I mean it all that that's as clean and clear as it gets. Yeah. And then you add in this whole UK title thing, um which I just think is is fascinating and I wonder if it is a long-term play towards something. Um I mean, I wonder if like the Rev Pro title somehow gets disputed against this at yeah point. right well and obviously that's a that's a play you can make but i know that that relationship's still really strong and and yeah. rev pro is not showing any signs of 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 letting up so i do think that is an interesting move but also i know obviously like will is is tight with the rev pro guys like i i, I bet that they've already talked this through and made sure that everyone's no one's gonna lose anything out of it well, in either case, that takes us to the semi-main event, which was a which was an eight-man tag team match. We had the House of Tortures, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. They defeated just five guys: Doki, Sonata, Taichi, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. And um, beat them in ten minutes, twenty-five seconds. A lot of cheating here, but the post-match angle was the the main thing. Where um, not only did Show attack. Tai Chi and make his uh, intentions for the KOPW title known, but Sonata was beat down and handcuffed uh, to the the ring ropes and made to look like a fool by uh, the House of Torture. And um, even on commentary, Chris Charlton's been pretty critical of Sonata and his loss to to Evil. And um, Evil had them read out a statement about how Sonata was not fit to be champion and. Um, essentially needed to hand over the title to evil and um, Sonata. Some of his backstage comments were also kind of, you know, kind of telling where he mentioned like, you know, if I can't beat this guy, maybe I shouldn't be at this level sort of thing. So um, it does seem that evil's well on his way to getting the next title shot against Sonata. Chris, what do you think of all this? I mean, it's, it's pretty much what I expected. Um, I expected them to set up Evil and Sonata. I didn't expect them to set up Show and Tai Chi, but whatever. Um, I can, I just can only imagine the stipulation that's going to come with that. But it's all you know. Show. So the way people feel about Evil, just like watching him and like being annoyed by it, is how I feel watching Show these days. <laughs> like I just I can't I can't deal with the funny faces like. I just want him to be better in one like I want him to execute this role better. So Tai Chi's been awesome though. So put him in there with anyone. I think we're gonna end up having a good time. But um I did expect to see the evil sonata thing. It's so obvious. It also kind of ties through to 
you know, Sonata exercising all of his demons in all of the previous his his previous life, right? The, his previous time with Lij, he's pretty much got to go through everyone that's meant something to him in that time frame, and evil and evil is included in that. So, you know, I hate to see the stupid uh, handcuffs and Sonata being like stretched out and stuck on the ropes. And you know, part of me wonders if that was in one way or another going to lead to whatever stipulation Tai Chi and Shido do because they've done handcuff stuff for the KOPW before. So um, yeah, ultimately it was, it was about what I expected it to be and it set up exactly what I figured it would. Yeah. Personally, not overly enthusiastic at the prospects of an evil Sonata um, destruction main event. Um, but it is what it is. That's what's happening. Um, so a very eventful undercard on the G1 final evening, which brings us to the main event and 34 minutes, 18 seconds, Tetsuya, Tetsuya Naito defeats Kazushika Okada to become your G1 Climax 2023 champion. And, um, what a match this was just really, really, really outstanding. I'm close to five, maybe five on this as well, but I, I'm, I still think I liked the Osprey Naito match a, a smidge better, but this isn't far off. And for me, this is my favorite Naito Okada match ever uh, between these two. And that's including, you know, the, the third meeting they had in the Tokyo dome and includes their anniversary show from 2012. Yeah. Same. I, I think, I don't know. There's something about, the Tokyo Dome is a special place, but there's something even more special about watching New Japan Pro Wrestling in, in Rio Goku. Mm-hmm. And and these guys in that spot in the G1 final for me, right? And I, I always I, I talk about it a lot, but the G1 is is it can, I, it, if I fall out of doing what I do for for and with New Japan Pro Wrestling, I'm still going to check in on the G1 every year. Like I can promise that. I just think I think it's the coolest thing that happens in pro wrestling. It it is it can be one little month of self-contained content, or it can be this thing that means something both to the past and the and the future of the company. If you're consuming it, how, however you want to consume it, you can drop in for the G1 every year, and it's kind of like dropping in between Rumble and and Mania and WWE, right? Like it it has that sort of vibe about it, where like you can definitely just parachute in for the whole tournament. So to put these guys in that space after, you know, I, Josh, I'm sure you feel this right after four or whatever, three turn, three G1 tournaments that were with clap crowds or, 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 you know, smaller rosters or people can't get there guys that are important, just aren't showing up. Like we finally had that moment where like this, we've talked a lot about like, you know, new Japan's back, right? Yes. Yeah. This, this felt like new Japan is back. And, 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 and at a hundred percent, we're not, we're not back to 90%. We're not back to, you know, even 85 or 60 or whatever it's been. It's back. It's exactly what you want it to be. There are going to be things that you don't enjoy about it the same way there always has been, but putting, I think in, in some sense, they put these dudes in this match to show the world that, G or New Japan still has what they used to have, but we also have a lot of different things going forward too. And I think that that's a fine line, right? It's a fine line to toe, but the match was perfect. I mean, it was about as close to perfect as you could get. And again, Naito showed up 
and was exactly what you would want him to be in this in this position you know there's so many people that are saying like on twitter or whatever like i posted that this was like the fourth longest g1 match of all time two of those other three that were longer you felt it like you knew those were (laughs) long matches right this one like the 20 minute call came and i was like oh like it's been like we're we're at 20 like but just enough had happened and the pace was just right and i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of little things that these guys did just right that you you'd have to really dissect it to figure out exactly what it was um but i mean you can't go wrong with putting these two in the ring but this does feel like tanahashi in 2018 yeah like it feels exactly to me like tanahashi in 2018 i i i I hate to call it like a dead cat bounce because it's not quite that, but it's this one little return to, to former glory. And, you know, ironically they're, they're days apart in age uh, from, from when Tanahashi won the, the, the championship Tanahashi was 15,247 days old when he won that G one and, and uh, Naito is 15,027 days old. So they're, they're basically, the exact same age, but this definitely feels like Naito's, you know, 2018 Tanahashi run when he reminds you who the fuck he is, <laughs> but it's kind of it, very potentially the last time he gets to remind you of that because, you know, 41 ain't, ain't young. Um, but again, he showed up, you know, better than I thought he would after getting his bell rung against Osprey. And um, I, these guys are just, they're so good. And Okada is, Anytime Okada loses, I almost give him all the credit for how the match rolls because he, without looking like it, he gives a lot. Yeah. Uh, Just incredible stuff. There was so much going into this. um, And I I concur. You hit the nail on the head with a lot of the things you brought up there, Chris. Um, I loved the video package presentation. Um, New Japan always has great video packages, but this one was pretty lengthy and it really like set the stage for everything that that had gone on through this tournament to get these guys to where they were and then yeah it does feel in many ways like that 2018 uh tournament for naito where it's like it's a a a return to former glory for him and a lot of people didn't necessarily expect him to be here uh we on this show i think me and jeremy going back to like march have been predicting a naito tournament win but we didn't know for for sure that was going to be the case but ultimately you know, here we are, but the story was really interesting because these two guys have a lot of matches with one another. I think, uh, Okada's like seven to, uh, Naito six going into this match. So that's a nice little yep. wrinkle. Cause this kind of ties up their series all time. Now, um, aside from that though, because they've already done multiple Tokyo domes, they've done other big shows. They've had matches in the G one, but they'd never done a G one final Final. against one another and so it's like that last big match that you can do between these guys that still has that cachet and it's never been done before sort of feel to it and then um there is the story where going into the match okada not only would have won his fifth all-time g1 but his third in a row and it, it it there's still that aspect where it's like okay they love to do first time things with guys, especially like Okada, who, who is, you know, unmistakably the ace of the company. And it's like, if you're not going to do the three, three peat 
at like now it's never going to happen for the guy. So if it was ever going to happen, this is the time to do it. And that was kind of looming over the head of Naito with this sort of feeling like his last hurrah. Plus he got his bell rung the, the night before. <laughs> and like, you know, you're kind of wondering like, how's he going to get through this match? Like he wasn't looking so great against uh, Osprey. And then finally the crowd, when you say we're back, like, yeah, we've had some great shows where me and Jeremy have come on and been like, man, this crowd was really live. They were really hyped. This was great. But there's been no matches, no matches in years where the crowd was just all consuming, invested in somebody. And as soon as the match started, it was just like, Naito, Naito. Naito. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, especially against Okada. It's like, I was like, oh, like we're doing this. Like we're doing the like Naito groundswell and it's happening in front of our eyes. And then Okada leaned into it. Like to his, to his credit, he leaned a hundred percent into it. And again, that's what I mean when I say like this man gives, even though you don't really see it, right. You see guys like Will Ospreay give, um, you don't necessarily see Okada look like he's giving, but it's, it's all happening. Um, yeah. The, and that it, it, it's like they didn't stop chanting until the whole, like almost the whole match. Probably until like... they left. They were probably out on the streets of Tokyo still doing it. Like <laughs> it was it so was, crazy. It was intense. Like I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. Yeah. Uh, like that much intensity for that long. It's like all the people that showed up to Ryugoku were like people that hadn't gone to Corkins or haven't gone to anything since they opened up vocal cheering again. And they were like, let's do this. Let's chant Naito all freaking night. And man, it felt good. It felt I, good to watch. I know earlier in the show, you said for me, work rate is like one of the, the most important things. And that is almost the case. But the most important thing for me is atmosphere. I can yeah. be won over by a match by just the crowd more. Well, that's so how, than yeah, else. that's me too. Right. Because the crowd's telling me whether it's good. Yeah. Right. And like, cause I don't analyze it the same way you guys do in the same way that some people do where it's more about the physicality and how good it looks and da 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 da. Right. right? Like I don't do that. I I'm all vibes. So like, <laughs> like, and sometimes, you know, through the pandemic, I found really good ways to figure out the vibes, even though mm-hmm. the vibes weren't really vibing like this, this match, the Osprey match, I mean, both just both nights in Ryugoku, if you've got the time, watch them all the way through. And it's this swell all the way up to these big moments for Tetsuya Naito. And I'm not a Naito guy either, right? I know we've talked about this. I'm not either. I don't think you are either, right? But like, holy shit, I was today. Oh, like, I, I wanted him to be. I did <laughs> not want to see Okada win yeah, for and, year but, in a row. But you can't rule it out. No, like, you can't. You can't. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> And like it was early, tremendous stuff for, for me, like early projections. I know it's so early, but like getting into Wrestle Kingdom season, like I'm seeing Okada Danielson, I'm seeing like probably Osprey Kenny again. And so, with all that happening, and if not that, Osprey's doing something. You just you want him to just run back Forbidden Door in the Tokyo Dome, yeah. So then, <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's fine, <laughs> yeah. So, with all that, I'm like, I think it's gonna be Naito and Sonata, and if it's you know the the alternative it's like okay okada wins then you got evil and sonata like this doesn't work for me i do not want to see like okada win. i love okada i really yeah. do but i did not want to see him plus like he has so much else to do 
It'd be that's, too much. that's where I was at. He he's got he. It could be Kiyomiya, I guess. I it could be Danielson. It could be someone like Moxley. It could be I don't know. Let's get Kenny Omega. Like I we can oh, there's so yeah. many things. Like Okada could do a billion different things. Okada's this the Okada's your secret weapon that you can just you you can announce a match and you've got a match and it's fine, right? Like so. I, he, there's there's enough else for him to do that you if you thought about it long enough you knew he probably wasn't winning the G1 but it's still Kazuchika Okada and I, it's I, still the Tokyo Dome. I've just seen him break Naito's heart too many times. Yes. Well, and I, and I've seen like Naito apart from him have his heart broken and his fans' hearts broken too many times. I'm like, dude, let's not do this again. Like, that's we, so I was gonna say this guy's he, gotta win. So. Naito and Okada, dating all the way back to 2007, they've traded wins, except for one time. Except for one time, one of these guys won back-to-back matches, and it was the time that everyone, quote-unquote, knew Naito was going to win <laughs> in, in 2018, and Naito obviously did not win that. That's the only time that someone in this series has won two matches in a row. Um, so like that, but that was the heartbreak that we were all ready for in the G1 final. And then you were going to look at it and say, well, what the hell's Naito doing then? What was, um, what was incredible about the match was how they, they told a really basic story. Like they did the basic chain wrestling and then Okada took over and Naito took over, but then Okada took over and then Naito took over very up, down, back and forth. Um, but what was a little different here was in the early iterations of their control segments, they kept trying to do the things that they're typically known to do in terms of their, their maneuvers, but they just kept countering each other because they've wrestled each other so many times. They know when they're going to go for their signatures. They know how they're going to do it. And so they kept stopping the other one from doing their big spots, whether that was like, uh, you know, I don't know the names of all, but you know, they, they have these predetermined things that they do and they didn't get to totally do them. And then in the second half of the match, um, they upped the intensity and they ended up going back and doing all those same things, but getting it the mm-hmm. second time. And that kind of added to the intensity there. And there's a point where I was like, holy shit, Okada's kicking the fuck out of Naito. And I was like, damn, he's really beating his ass. But then... Naito started doing all this neck um, offense, which going back to their first match in 2012, that's his his MO. He always attacks the neck, but the ways he was doing it in this match were so different from what he traditionally does against uh, Okada. It was not old hat, and he was modifying a lot of his moves to specifically target the neck, and I'm like, damn, like this is vicious looking. And then down the stretch, they're just bashing each other and they're going into the strike exchanges and i'm like holy fuck like they're hitting each other hard like real hard and um there's like one point where like okada's on the ground and he's like more more and like naito starts kicking him in the face and giving him elbows and i'm like oh this is awesome but then down the stretch you just kind of know that if if this dude naito eats a rainmaker he's done and he ate variations of the rainmaker short arm and short yeah. arm and the spinning but he never took a full on rainmaker but he kept going for the destino and okada but okada had all those 
I mean, Cobra Flosion or the landslide. Like he has so many like on the show. It's like Okada has collected all these moves and started to establish them for this match. Yeah. Because Okada did the Cobra Flosion the whole tour. He did it as part of his setup and he would do the landslide. So like all these things that require the dude to get up on your shoulder, he was doing them and establishing them as as part of his moveset. And honestly, they came in handy here then, too. He reversed a bunch of Destino attempts. He reversed the Destino. And then there's a point where he lays out Naito. And this plays into what happened the previous night, where there was a point where Naito was um, almost counted out in the first match with, with Osprey. And oh, they, yeah. they very rarely do 10 counts in New Japan. But back going back to like the classic, like, ages of new japan that was very common to see those types of finishes teased and i haven't seen one of those in a long time and they they teased that the first night the guy was obviously very loopy so they they incorporate that into the inner workings of this match and they do a near count again where he's almost counted out i'm like holy fuck like this is and then it it also kind of went back to the danielson match with okada yeah with danielson having his whole situation right like okada is like almost knocking dudes out now. Like that's part of his bit. So it, yeah, I mean, yeah, big, big play on a, a couple of different things there. I thought that was actually really interesting. Um, Naito got the big giant swinging DDT that he's been beating everybody with in the tournament, trying to get a pinfall off that was unsuccessful. Okada did the Okada sit down, um, you know, pin, and he almost went off of that. Like there's a lot of really great near falls off both guys. And then um, Naito ended up hitting the uh, the Northern Lights bomb. He went to the top and and went for uh, what's his uh, top rope move that he hardly ever goes for the Stardust Press. He goes for a Stardust Press, uh, and of course he does, right? Because we're all thinking about heartbreak, and it plays into all the matches they've had in the past. And of course he misses it. I'm like, oh my god! Like the drama is so high in this. And, yeah, and um, Kevin and Chris are yelling like, no, no, like anything but that um okada blocks a destino at one point then he cradles out of another and then um he goes for rainmaker uh naito cradles out of that and then suddenly he hits a fucking destino like out of nowhere and you're like oh my god um okada kicks out of it and uh there's a second destino countered into a cobra flosion like there's just back and forth back and forth and finally um Naito hits a Destino, picks him up, hits a second Destino. And after that second one, I was like, oh my God, finally, he fucking did it. Like, because yeah, yeah. I thought he, it was so back and forth. And um, yeah, he picks up the one, two, three, and the crowd just erupts. Like, the crowd erupts. LIJ comes out, confetti, the flag, trophy. You know, Naito gets to do the go home, you know, the, the, he the roll call. The roll call and uh, storybook ending to a really great G1. It was a really good tournament. It, it was a great tournament. It was a really good tournament. And I, you know, it, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people about how they feel about this tournament because I, I'm just so curious about the feedback that that the product gets. And I like to engage with people about that. And and um, in the middle there, you know, it, <laughs> we weren't sure how it was going to play out, but I don't know. I it, it's like a in a traditional G1 or what what has become a traditional G1. You always say like, "Well, wait till those block nights. Wait wait till those last couple of nights of block and and the final." 
before you analyze anything mm-hmm. with, with this year, you, you kind of had to wait until those last seven nights before yeah. you really knew how you felt about the tournament. And that's a lot of great shows. Yeah. Like the, all the block night, all the block final nights, which I think were in, in for my money that those were the best paced nights of the, of the tour. Right. Those in the quarterfinal nights. Right. Because you've got four big tournament matches and then you've got some undercard stuff. Um, it's just enough that that those four matches can get all your intensity and all your attention, um, you know, as, so as like full whole cards, I think those like just felt the best to me was all those block final nights. And then the quarters, the quarters being kind of the peak of that. But then, you know, the, you know, a, a traditional block final night only has one or two meaningful matches and then you got your final right so the last seven nights really kind of expanded those high stakes nights and i don't think they could do this size tournament where every block is segregated unless you stretch it out to being two months long um you know i think i actually think the the tournament was scheduled really well for what they wanted to do i thought it was really neat um, and I think, you know, the, how they laid out the blocks ended up being exactly how I, how I thought they, they had intended, right. Where a and B was really the fresh and really new stuff and all the character development and growth and C and D all those nights were like basically a bunch of matches that you've seen a couple times, but it reminds you what the G one is. Um, they, they so- were able to, um, to take so an exponentially greater amount of matches and still fit it into the 19 night schedule format. Right. And do that in a way to where generally speaking, you were just getting about four shows per week. We've actually had tournaments where you've had way more tournament nights. Yeah. You know, jam packed into a, a, a certain format. So it was paced really well. Obviously, one thing me and Jeremy noticed right away was like those early nights where you're getting eight tournament matches. It was like, damn, why is this like we're getting less nights, but it feels like we're watching more. And it's like, oh, because we are. We are. Eight, yeah. There's eight you know, matches each night. But uh, by and large, it, I thought they did a great job. I, I do think there's some takeaways, some things that we learned, positive and negative. I mean, one of the things people used to love about the G1 is when you had the 20 man format with the way that the format was stacked and everything, you'd have those classic, you know, nights where you'd have maybe the, from a work rate perspective, the, the better evenings, the, the, sure. the more classic nights. And I think we're finding out so far that this particular format, maybe it doesn't endear itself to that sure. as much. Because it's hard to have eight great matches in one night. Right. Um, you know, we saw it, God, what was that? The 2019 best of super juniors. There's two Corican nights that are just 10 um super junior matches. And those, I mean, that's that's the upper echelon of like have a bunch of great matches on the same night. Right. Um, I think one of those was my show of the year that year. Um, I think it was the show with Osprey and Bandito, maybe. Doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, you're not gonna most great. G1 nights, even if you think about it, had what three really great matches on them. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, were there were there cards that gave you that in this tournament? I don't know. Maybe not, right? Like even even three great matches. 
um when they were on the eight um they the eight match shows but they could right like i like i've said for a long time like this year ain't about this year it's about you know it, it next, is. next year and two yeah. years down the line but they finished it like it was about this year i mean and, it, and i think that that's that's a fine line i you know when i think about great bookers you have to you have to reset some stuff sometimes and this yeah. felt like a big 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 reset and and i think you found out what you had with some of these guys and i think that that's kind of good too right like you found out a lot about a lot of different wrestlers and you know even if you decide to keep going with 32 i think you can continue to tweak the format and make it feel like you know like it grows a little bit more right i think we just went from straight from like a bunch of matches that you have to have to a bunch of meaningful matches right so the first 10 nights were just a bunch of matches that you had to have to set up the last seven nights um i think you could pepper in some importance into some of those earlier cards but i think that you know this year was significantly better uh in the sense of scheduling than last year and i think that if we do if we continue to do the same kind of format going forward like i would be super happy with it like i really enjoyed the quarter final and semifinals like i don't think anything's ever going to replace like a really fun and a little bit complicated block final night but you still do get to do that um but the stakes are a little lower right so you're really fighting for second place and i think that that hurts the block format a little bit um but then once you get into the knockouts everything's intense and i think that that's that's the trade-off another thing too though to keep in mind is like okay with the old format right during its biggest heyday you had blocks where you had the likes of like shingo um kenny omega will osprey you know <laughs> um tomohiro ishii hiroshi tanahashi kazushiko okada the list goes on and on all in their primes and uh, not all of those guys are still here and not all of those guys are still in their primes so it's very much a, a situation where we are rebuilding we're building to the future and also transitioning out some of the older guys all at the same time and that's it, it we're just not in that period that we used to be in from that perspective, but we are building to something that could be as good or even potentially better. One thing I liked is, you know, I heard a lot of complaints from, um, you know, different, like different analysts about the way they were the business that they were doing during this tournament and what they were drawing and everything. And granted tournament numbers were down from attendance, but uh, for the last two nights for Ria Goku, they were actually up over last year, which is a huge up. Yeah, it's a that's a great sign. And then what I think that they've done, like you mentioned, Chris, is they've taken these A, B, C, and D block finals, and then combining that with the three night, um, you know, with the set with the the eight knockout uh, rounds or whatever, following that. Maybe they didn't draw their biggest numbers for those houses, but I don't know that people necessarily understood how important those shows were going to be. Sure. And now they've kind of set the precedent that these are really big evenings. And I, I won't be surprised at all if you start seeing the ABC and D block finals all having a, a, a major uptick in business as in addition to them doing big business on the last three nights as well. And that's it. That's not only good from a fan perspective, because, you know, there used to be that old adage you're on like night 12, night 13 of the G1. You're like, oh, God, I, you know, I got to drudge through it. But 
ultimately now you're at like night 12 and you're like, oh, okay, we're like getting to the, it was a quick finals. Yeah. It was a quick corner into like, oh, oh, we're okay. Here we go. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like set you off into a little bit of a panic where you're like, someone was like, oh, we're halfway through the G1. I was like, pal, by, by number of matches, we're 78% through this thing. (laughs) Like we are way past half. Yeah. So like you, you, you cram everything into the, the first half and then you're almost done. And then suddenly when you're in that lull period that you think is going to be a lull period, it's not anymore. The the stakes are way higher because you're towards the end. And then the last seven nights are nothing but high stake matches. And from a, from a certain perspective, as a fan watching, that's very, that's palatable. It's very enjoyable. It's great to analyze. And I think that long-term for business, it's going to be better for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, people are going to, see the roster if they stay with 32 people are going to see the roster every year and point at it and say it's watered down or da 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 these tournaments require having people who lose <laughs> yeah like if you scale it out you had an you had the same number of guys that quote unquote couldn't win the tournament by percentage i'm sure it's about the same in a 20 person block as it or in a 20 person tournament as it is in a 32. So yeah. like, don't talk to me about bloat, like get it together. <laughs> like do some well, math. Well, I mean, you know, you think about like, let's say like in 2018, a really, really, really stacked tournament, you know, and, and there wasn't very much fat to trim off. You have a guy like juice Robinson, just getting obliterated in the tournament. Cause people have to lose, you know, if you don't have people that can lose, then some of the guys that you love are just going to get Fucked. Then it looks like nineties <laughs> all Japan. <laughs> I mean, and we already had a bunch of draws and, you know, I, and that, that brings us to the 20 minute time limit as, which we can now reflect on completely. Uh, Cause I think it's important to reflect on it after you uh, have seen the no time limit matches. Right. So ultimately the 20 minute time limit matches felt so different from the, the no time limit knockout matches Mm -hmm. and i think that's that was the whole like the 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 benefit to the booking is that you can do more draws and they're more believable and you don't have to spend as much time on them right because 20 minutes really in in the in the world of new japan pro wrestling is not that long of a match so while potentially some of your block um work rate or you know output we'll say was a little bit lower, right? Like look at Osprey and Okada. You know, was it what everyone thought it was going to be? No, because he didn't have because Okada's pacing and and to some extent Osprey's pacing is usually for a 30 to, you know, 45 minute match in a big spot like that, not a 20 minute match. So of course you're going to reduce a little bit of that output, but it makes the knockouts feel so much bigger. Because there's no time limit, they go longer, they're paced differently, they feel their the the big match feel comes into the building and swells along with those matches. So I think that, you know, while they used it a lot to balance some of the booking, and I think that they can continue to do that, this was classic New Japan booking, where they give you a lot of one thing to establish that it's possible down the line. So if we're gonna do 20 minute time limit G1s from now on. I think you'll see the draws start to reduce, right? You're still going to pepper some in as you go here, but it's like when Gabe Kidd was establishing his character at the beginning of this tournament and he was, you know, P 
people were saying like that his matches weren't good, but they kind of knew what they were doing. He was doing the same thing over and over and over again on every single night to establish that that's his thing. So kind of what happened this year, and it worked out with the Three Musketeers thing, and it was the right timing to make this change and to make this pivot. So now you've got the 20-minute time limit. You believe that draws are possible, right? When less than 1% of the matches that have ever happened in this tournament are a draw, at some point, even when I'm looking at, you know, people doing pickums and stuff, I'm like, you're picking way too many draws. Like, they just don't happen that often, and they're usually very important matches when they do. So now... They might not be. They might not be that important. So you've added this third result that's totally possible to all of these, to all the matches going forward in the G1, especially if you stick with the 20 minute time limit. So this was establishing what the G1 might look like for the next 10 years in that way. So, you know, if you look at 2012 as the big reset or 2013, pick your pick your G1 to set up what the tournament format structure and kind of I guess belief system was going to be for the next, you know, what turned out to be nine or 10 years. I think we just saw the G1 that's going to do the same. And I think, you know, towards the tail end of that decade stretch, maybe we're looking at some more classic tournaments once people are really used to and have, have built their strategies of how to get through it. So I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like this G1, I think we're going to end up looking back on it in five or six years as, as something really special that they're, they're still drawing stories out of. And I think that that's such a cool thing to see in real time. Um, Yeah, definitely. One thing I would say with the 20 minute time limit is I, I concur. I'm not going to add much more to what you said, but the only match to me, the entire tournament, the only match that felt like it was hampered by the 20 minute time limit was the aforementioned Osprey Okada which I get it. There were some people that were upset about it in, in real time when it occurred. But for me, if that's the only match sure. where I'm watching it and I'm like, you know, I could have used more to me, that is a, that's a, that's a good thing because the rest of the tournament, which was tons and tons and tons of matches, I felt satisfied almost entirely across the, the, the board. And Ultimately, I don't even feel like the 20 minute time limit was the issue in that match as much as the workers themselves maybe not working the right pace and right style for what they needed to accomplish in that time period. Um, let's go through a, a couple block things here just real quick. So, um, you know, just overarching thoughts for me, I loved the A block. And I really enjoyed what they did there. They kept all the... Uh, the three musketeers sort of at a, they kind of canceled the, one another out and they all did the draws and everything like that. Um, I don't know if I felt like coming out of this, that we have the strong sense of the future, the way I was hoping we would, you know, with the way it all shook out, but ultimately we got some really great matches. And I do think that, you know, even if it's not clear today, what they're doing with all these guys, it is like what you mentioned in three years, we'll be able to look back and still point to this tournament as the Genesis for, or the launching pad for what they're going to be doing down the road with these guys. Yeah. I mean, the a block was the most interesting block for sure. Um, just cause you didn't, you didn't really know where any of these guys stood. Um, and, and you didn't, you figured one of them was going to elevate out and they didn't. And I think that, you know, they all kind of got a signature thing. 
Mm-hmm. Hikaleo got out of the block. Um, Suji got a win. So, you know, one extra point than the other guys. You know, like they all got one little thing. Narita stopped Kumia. Kumia. Yeah, right. So, and Numino got, what did Numino do? He had a thing. I, you know, it's been a long tournament. 119 matches. <laughs> 119 matches, folks. Um, covered them all. So, um, but yeah, I mean, again, it wasn't about necessarily where these guys are at now. Everyone always wants the rocket. And it's it's just not how New Japan works. And, Ooh, uh, and oh, but- someone wanted someone in this block to get the rocket or at least some version of the rocket and that's just it's not how it's gonna go speaking of the rocket do you know where we were you and i were two years ago today yeah we were in uh la together we were eating korean barbecue in la hoping to hoping to see yuya yuamura do some damage in, <laughs> at, at the beginning of his excursion the next night um so but that you know the rocket reminded me of him right another guy who's not a three musketeer who's going to come back a little bit later and right you know if we're if we're paralleling 2012 2013 to 2023 maybe there's parallel so but we saw advancement i shota umino looks like a different wrestler now than he did at the beginning of the g1 yeah, I, I agree. I feel like if anybody was benefited the most out of anybody else in that block in terms of elevation and, and improvement, it was probably Shoto Amino. Yeah. Uh, even if he wasn't like quote quote unquote elevated above the others, it very much feels like he was elevated he has above an, the he others. Now has an aura. Yeah. Like now he he's got that feel. And you saw it a little bit in the Ren uh in the tag match on the G1 finals. Because Ren and Shota are clearly going to have a program going out of this. But um, Shota's got a vibe now. now I mean, we... and and he looks tremendous. He's finally, like, fully in shape. Like, the man's got abs. Like, yeah. his, pan- his pants are staying up. Like, he looks so good. But he's also, he figured it out. He needed nine or whatever, seven singles matches to figure out his aura for his singles matches that, that he's not connecting himself to, you know, Tanahashi or our Moxley or whatever. We don't need to relitigate the entire Kiyomiya thing again, but <laughs> one thing I would have loved is if they had done the knockout round with him and Kiyomiya at the sure. end. I would have loved if they'd done that. Um, I feel like if there was ever time for them to have done that in this tournament, that was the prime oh, time listen. to do it. When I when I saw that as a possibility, I was like, that's exactly what's happening. Because it, yeah, it, bring, it brings both guys up, you know, yeah. and even, you know, cynical Joe Lanza even was like, yeah, that's what's that's the thing. That's what we're doing. It gives a little to both of them, blah, blah, blah. Everyone figured everyone, everyone that heard the theory was like, yep, that's I, it. I was bought in. I was bought I, in. It was like I was like and. I don't, I feel bad that I like highlighted it as a possibility, but, <laughs> and then, and then they actually made it a possibility with Tama Tonga and Shinga, which was just, I mean, it was like Gato playing with me, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I think it just would, it would have been cool too. I mean, you love to see something unorthodox like that. One last thing on the A block and we'll move on. Um, obviously the top performer in the block, Sonata, the world champion, he goes undefeated, beats everybody in the block. But 
to me, he wasn't necessarily the what I'd call the MVP, like the top performer for you, Chris. Like, who was your MVP of the A block? Hmm. For me, the A block was all about showing what potential you have. So it was Shota. Hmm. Yeah, I, but I like in, in a sense of like output. It's tough because they were all kind of right in the same lane. They were very close. I think for me, ultimately down the stretch, I think it's Kiyomi. I think he had the most great. He looked really good performances. I mean, I know I kind of dumped on him earlier. Like he's right. I just think, I think he's, he's booked lower than his potential. And I, so I, I agree with all the Noah fans that believe that. Yeah. Um, and then Noah as a company, at least this is, this is the way I see it. They didn't protect him. They sent him to the G1 and they didn't say like, okay, it's it's almost like I was talking to someone and I was like, you know, Tony Khan knew exactly the results of every Eddie Kingston match that was going to happen in this tournament. And he knew exactly what it was going to be and where it was going to lead and how it was going to affect things. Kiyomiya, on the other hand, had didn't have anyone looking out for him. At least that's how it feels. Like that's the perception that I think is going around is that Kiyomiya didn't have anyone looking out for him to make sure that every loss he got or draw was at least intentional and maybe was going to lead towards something, or maybe he was going to have a little eye down with Okada or something, right? There's going to be something that comes out of this that isn't just a young lion coming back with him to, to Noah, which is cool. It's super neat. And, and I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall when I saw the undercards for the, the, for or the non-tournament matches for the, um, for the tournament or the whatever knockout matches hard to not say tournament a bunch of times there um that for whatever reason they had connected him with oiwa and i knew oiwa was looking to go out on excursion around the same time as fujita so i was like maybe Oiwa was going to noah so here we are and that's exactly what's happening so i just i just don't know how you circle that back into new japan though i mean yeah. i think that's not that's more about oiwa than it is about kiyomiya so yeah. it, it's I don't know. I mean, the booking really didn't do him any favors. And I know that that's what everyone that's got a Noah podcast has been saying about Kiyomiya for the last like four or five years too. So where does the, where does the blame lie with that? Yeah. Well, putting all that aside, just in terms of like the big matches, it's like, I thought him and yeah, he looked like a star. I thought he had the most consistently great match or great performances throughout that A block and sort of a little bit of an unsung fact. Uh, Moving on to the B block, it really kind of came down for the most part to being like a two-man block. I mean, you had Osprey and you had Okada there. And certainly there was a lot of other great matches and great stories and the resurgence down the tail end of um, ELP and, and his, you know, heartbreaking loss to Osprey. But like, when you look at those numbers, you look at those performances the two guys that came out of the block, Osprey and Okada, they pretty much dominated. And even in the, um, you know, the, the, the knockout rounds of the final eight, they were the probably two of the best performers of the entire tournament. I really don't know who the MVP of quote unquote of the whole tournament is. I'd have to do some math, but it's gotta be one of those two guys. Like they just, they're, they're considered probably two of the best wrestlers in the world today. They proved it and they were phenomenal. And this might be Okada's best tournament ever. Yeah. You know who else is really great, though? And and I agree with you, like, wholeheartedly. 
But if if Okada's one A and or you know whatever Osprey's one B, your mileage may vary on that. Like pick pick your poison. Tai Chi. I was gonna say I know you're going with Tai Chi. Tai Chi. Holy shit! This dude had a tournament. Yeah. Um. The yeah, Okada. And, 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 but also the Okada match and the Osprey match. I mean the Osprey match was one of my favorite matches I've ever seen. I loved I just, that match. I and loved- it, and it- that match so much it like got forgotten like it happened and and people just moved on and it was one of the best matches of the tournament i i have a serious agenda to make sure that it does not get forgotten because i you know and and i'm not gonna high horse how people star rate or whatever but when you call it one of your favorite matches of all time just give it give it five stars (laughs) (laughs) but like whatever i know i know the star thing is basically everyone just you know, annexing how Dave does it, which which has nothing to do, quote unquote, has nothing to do with how he feels about the match. But either way, like that was one of my favorite matches. And then the Okada match was also one of my favorite matches. The Phantasmo match was great. Um, the Okan match was different. Taichi likes to throw in a themed match in every in, in most of his tournaments, you know, with the Bushi had the kick match with Okan, you had the Matt Russell match. So um, but uh Prior to the knockout stage, the El Fantasma Will Osprey match was my match of the tournament. Um, in the sense Same. of kind of like classic star rating type, how I would look at at wrestling. Like I just thought that match was so great too. So um there was a lot of good stuff in the B block, but I, I really don't want Tai Chi's performances to get lost in the shuffle because they were a little early and they were on shows that didn't get quite as much buzz. But that Osprey match was perfect. I think night in and night out, B block much more overperformed what I was expecting across the board. Cause while those two guys were great, there were a lot of people on the undercard on the other part of the block that were really great as well. Um, yeah. So it, it was very, very, very good. Very enjoyable. Um, in the C block, I was a little disappointed in the C block. This was one where I looked at it on paper and I saw those bruisers and I thought we were going to get a lot of, you know, classic hard hitting matches. And we did have some for sure, but a lot less than what I was expecting. It it felt like a a very inconsistent block, you know? Yes. My dog agrees. Um, Yeah. So this, I mean, but this was the block that you look at and you're like, that's a bunch of G1 dudes. Like, but it's not any high end G1 dudes. It's the guys that the high end guys have the great matches against. So, you know, I think that there is, there was some risk of putting all these guys that are very similar in the same block together. And I think that that risk ended up being true. Um, I think the other thing that worked against C block was that they, um, they ultimately had to cover for D block. So D block, um, I shared this at the beginning of the tournament. D block was the, it's the oldest mm-hmm. block of all time. So I, I referred to D block as the minute managers. So these guys were managing minutes for sure, because uh, for the block matches, the D block averaged 10 minutes and 50 seconds per match, which is over three minutes shorter than any other block. And, almost a full four minutes shorter than the C block. So the C block had to run the longer matches on the C and D nights. Mm-hmm. And which means they had to run the longer matches for six, six of their seven block nights. So that truly, I think 
worked against the C block because some of these dudes would have uh, benefited from like a hell of a sprint, but they had to stretch it to 15 instead of going, you know, nine or 10. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the funny thing is like with the D block, like you mentioned, even though it was an older block and I sort of had low expectations for a lot of their performances. I don't know because it was shorter. They were very like, uh, they weren't egregiously bad. Like it was inoffensive entirely. Like I still ended up liking a lot of their matches regardless. Um, I feel like for me, like out of those two blocks, like my MVP would probably be like Zach in the D block. Sure. Um, Kyle had a very strong tournament as well, but I feel like I, I enjoyed Zach the most. And then in the C block, it's maybe Shingo, but it's probably Ishii. (laughs) I mean, really, anyone you pick is kind of a chalk pick. Yeah. For for whatever reason, right? You could say Shingo because he's Shingo, Ishii because he's Ishii. Hanari had a, you know, Hanari had a bit of an elevation at least. I think he um, had a, a really great breakout tournament, even if yep. the booking didn't reflect it. Yep. He looked great. Um, you could potentially see Hanari being one of those guys that they step up every year right now. So, like, maybe this year was the four point year, next year, six. Maybe he's going to get to eight. Maybe eventually he's got a run where he like actually puts together a really good tournament um, on, from a win-loss perspective. So, you know, and Tomatonga's your like stable, steady, good hand kind of guy. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what that block was, right? And D-Block, D-Block was the 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 old the old standards, right? Um, and you got kind of the old standard with them until they all heated up towards the end. And, and bless them for doing that. Yeah. Um, but no one really broke out of the D block. I thought Coglin looked good and he's interesting and all that, but um no didn't one give, really didn't give him the chance. Yeah, like he didn't really get as he didn't get a moment. Um and and you know, I do like to kind of say that almost everyone in every G one gets kind of a thing, right? They either get a streak or they get a losing streak that they're gonna break out of, or they get a big win over someone. I mean, Coglin beat Tanahashi. So that was his thing, I guess. If you're looking at like, what was their establishing moment? Um, clearly that is an establishing moment, but he, he didn't do it in a big spot. Um, it was kind of a chase Owen spot. Shane East beat Naito. That was a big deal. Right. Yeah. So like I said, so like everyone gets a thing, whether it's moving on or, you know, that moment where they can point to and say like, Hey, I beat this guy. Um, I heard a theory that the the Shingo and Tamatanga draw was a botch. Have you? I don't know that I buy into it, but I think it's plausible based on the way that the math all played out at the end that maybe that wasn't supposed to happen that way, or at least that's something I've heard. Is that because they didn't work it like they didn't work it like it was supposed to be a draw and it was almost yeah? But like, I think in that situation they would just go to the finish. They didn't realize. How do you not? They're I don't calling know. it every 30 seconds. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't I, know. I, I find that hard to believe because it's not like it was. Uh, I don't there weren't really any signs of that to me. Yeah, well, it's just something I'd heard. Yeah, I yeah. I'd throw it out there. Yeah, um, I don't know. I with two guys like that, too, two pros, that's that'd be tough to believe. Any final thoughts that you want to, uh, any last things you want to talk about with this uh, G1? I mean, I can go all day, but I, <laughs> I'll, I'll spare everyone. Um, no, I think it was, I, I think the tournament, as I look back on it, I really liked the format. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I know that it's different and different is hard. Um, but, um, and I, and I like the 20 person format too, but I think, I think this year's tournament was more interesting, uh, for having been formatted this way. I would have been really frustrated if they formatted it the same way as last year's, right. With the one match from every block and every night, like that. Didn't yeah. Work, right. Thank goodness. They pivoted away from that. Um, but yeah, I, um, I really, I really enjoyed the tournament. I enjoy where I think New Japan is headed. I mean, I, I tweeted earlier. I tweeted a whole list of the programs that are that are going to be coming up for for New Japan and and kind of everything that got set up on some of these undercards and and what it looks like going forward. And I think, I mean, I just think that after seeing and hearing that crowd Marie Goku, I think if we can get even sixty percent of that on any more of these shows, and the next big show is again in Goku in October. I think we're I think we're up for a pretty good run towards Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully Naito can uh keep this momentum that he has going and and turn in some vintage performances on his way uh to the dome. Um yeah, I agree. I, I liked the tournament format. The only the only two big things I would really criticize is there was a couple booking decisions that I've already voiced on this podcast that I would have maybe preferred that they changed leading into the final eight, but it is what it is. Um, as far as the actual uh, entrance, I do think that there probably could have been some uh, other people considered for inclusion in the tournament that weren't included this year, as opposed to, you know, a couple others, but ultimately I feel like they're working out the kinks and this uh, format is a benefit and long-term um, like you said, this is a rebuilding tournament where a lot of big names, big stars for the future are really being set up here. And we're going to see how how the rest of those guys fare in the next year or two as things stretch out. But in the meantime, it's still a Naito and um, Okada world. They're still at the top of the roost. And, you know, Sonata's uh probably not long for this world with that gold, but uh but he it looks like he's gonna make it to Wrestle Kingdom. Gonna make it to Wrestle Kingdom, which I never I, see, thought. Right. I I kept pointing at the Okada situation because I was like, okay, Naito's gonna win the G1. Everyone's gonna think it's gonna be Naito Sonata, but then Okada's gonna swoop in and 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 Sonata's gonna lose the title. So I'm I'm a little surprised that I don't really see a path towards Sonata not entering Wrestle Kingdom as the champion. And that to that to me is really interesting. Especially not that, if they do it the traditional way and he just has the one October defense and that's it, then it's yeah. a, it's a lock and it is smart in a certain sense. Granted, I'm not excited about seeing evil wrestle, right? I'm not. Um, but one thing that always is a tried and true victory for new Japan is when they put him in a big spot where no one wants to see him win. And then he loses. It's always successful. And they're gonna like for everyone that's like, oh, Sonata's not over. He's gonna be fucking huge over on that night because no one's gonna unless they shit the bed, and that will be if they shit the bed and no and people are apathetic on that night. That would Maybe. be it. Won't happen though. It's not gonna happen because nobody is going to want to see Evil beat Sonata and go right. to the Dome as champion. That so, match is gonna be humongous. It's gonna work, and so the there heat's is that. gonna be huge. It's gonna yeah. be great. Everyone's gonna complain about it leading up to it. No one's going to admit that they loved it. <laughs> so that's where we're at. It's all going to happen. I can see it now. Now, um, 
we're going to, like I said, at the start of the show, we don't have, we didn't take questions. I'm going to skip the news. There were some noteworthy additions for the upcoming shows next week. I'll be reviewing um, the all-star junior festival, as well as the uh, multiverse United. We're having Floyd Johnson from, uh, from all things elite coming onto the show to review those with me. I don't have the updated list of combatants and cards. I know that Enzo got added to the show, uh, which real, is real one, please. Yeah, which is kind of real one. I don't know what we're doing, but um, the last thing we'll leave you well, guys. With... He's friends with your friend. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> put, put the put the puzzle pieces together. <laughs> um, the excursion match of the week. I decided to go ahead and review the uh, death match that took place this past week on the uh, Freedom Show, which um, was El Desperado and Jun Kasai taking on Masashi Takeda. And, Rina Yamashita in a thumbtack board and razor cross board alpha death match. Uh, this was from Freedom's Yokohama Rush 2023. Uh, this was on NJPW World, I believe, as a, a pay per view. And um, it's got a pretty high score on Cage Match, sitting at like an 8.23 with 12 votes. Um, Chris, this was not my cup of tea whatsoever. <laughs> like, um, I'm not necessarily the biggest death match guy, and I'm definitely also. And there's nothing wrong with it, but just personally, I'm not the biggest intergender fan either. And um, this was certainly very, very violent, very, very bloody and very, very hard hitting. But for me, oftentimes for like a death match to kind of register on the radar for me, it's either got to be like tied into some sort of like very personal story that is blowing off and the emotions are kind of tied into it. Or there's got to be some other level of importance. Like, for instance, the death match, the tag team death match that they did at the uh, the show back in July. There wasn't a story necessarily tied into that too much, but seeing the, all those legends interact with one another in a dream match scenario was like very mind blowing. But this match was like everyone just started bleeding like right off the right off the bat like we're talking like everybody literally getting bust open hard way desperado's going right into the tax him and june kasai came out in all white so you knew that they were going to get with the shit like right away and um i think for fans of deathmatch wrestling this is probably a very like high-end match because the there's a lot of action there were i didn't know the backstory but like yamashita and takeda they like had some sort of beef or issue and they weren't on the same page, but they had to work together. And there was like a mix of comedy, but also Puro, but also, you know, there was just like a two for me, too many elements. I, I didn't really ever get drawn into the match on that level because it was so much spectacle. Yeah. I little known fact about me. I love death matches. <laughs> um, I love them. And my first exposure to Japanese pro wrestling was, you know, Terry Funk in, in, in death matches in, in Japan. That was like the first stuff I ever like hunted on like LimeWire um, back in the day. I, I would never claim to be a tape trader. I was the guy who I was the first person to download anything that ever showed up that I had to play on like some weird, you know, web yeah. video player. Right. Like that's where my wrestling fandom hunt started um so i love i love death matches this one again like kind of like you said it just didn't really land for me um it didn't i didn't feel the intensity um and and 
some of that's probably my, you know, lack of familiarity with some of the guys in, in play, but you know, when you put someone like June Kasai in a, in a ring, I'm, I'm all in. Right. And I love that shit. So, um, you know, I think people probably look at me as new Japan guy and think I like all I like is the new Japan stuff, but I will hunt down some death matches if they're good. Um, I think violence for violence sake is lame, but, um, but yeah, so this match, um, I pretty much agree with, with how you felt about it. I just, I, it didn't quite get to that level where you're like either cringing or, you know, fearful for anyone. Like right. it, 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 it was kind of your run of the mill death match with a special, you know, corner to turn. Yeah. So it was, it was, of, it was fine. A lot of plunder. Um, the, the finish was pretty gnarly where uh, Jun Kasai ends up hitting a, a J driller on Takeda on a bunch of cut up cans, which was pretty nasty, but um, that was like the highlight of the match for me. Um, one thing is like, I don't think that Desperado's ever won um, a death match up to this point. So that's the, that's the story. And that's part of the story, but he also didn't pick up the pinfall victory. So I don't know if that, like how that counts on the ledger for him, but he was on the side of the, the victory team along with Jun Kasai. So that probably plays into it a little bit, but uh, I'd probably go like three and three quarters. I would say if you want to see this match, if you're interested, definitely I'd recommend it. I thought it was good, but I, I it's not going to be in contention for like excursion match of the year or anything like that. Um, this next coming up week, there's quite a few excursion matches happening. I know that like stardom is having both women's titles defended. And then there was some other really big uh, match coming up. Oh yeah. The stardom show happened uh at the same time as the g1 show yeah so i have i I might check out one of those or there was some other big match that was happening that involves someone from new japan i can't recall but um i'll I'll bring you guys something next week um in the meantime that's gonna do it for the show uh chris you want to get your plugs in for us oh god i think i've been plugged enough over the last month if you've been watching new japan pro wrestling but you can find me on twitter at the chris samsa sportofprowrestling.com um yeah, that's that's what I've got going on. We're doing some back end work on Sport of Pro Wrestling that I think people will really end up enjoying. So uh, I guess keep an eye out for that. But it's it's not really imminent. But y'all are going to be able to do what I do for yourselves if you want to, which I think will be kind of an interesting way to approach putting together the website for now. Um, and I'm building I'm rebuilding the archive there. So you'll have if you kind of go back and do rewatches for pretty much anything New Japan related for the last five years, you'll be able to really easily find my work which helps set up um where everyone is at the beginning of those shows so because i think we are getting into a into a space where people start to rewatch stuff from you know 2018 2019 2020 so um that's what i've got going on other than uh probably covering some aew stuff for my friends too i'll be at all out if anyone uh wants to meet up for a hot dog and a handshake. I'll, I'll, I'll be around, uh, the United center that weekend. And, um, but yeah, otherwise I, I just, I, you know, I like to take an opportunity. I know a lot of the, a lot of the people that listen to keeping it strong style are also the people that interact with me on, on Twitter and, you know, um, you know, signal boost some of my stuff. So I just want to say that I really appreciate the listenership and I'm, I'm glad we were able to connect here, uh, to bookend the, the G1 tournament, which, um, which I thought was a, a really good tournament. And I'm proud to have, have covered my fifth G1 doing stats and info. So it's been, a, it's been quite a ride. Um, and I hope to, I hope to keep it going, but 
you never know. Uh, depends who's uh, depends who's around. Well, we look forward to uh, the things you got coming up with the website. That all sounds very, uh, very cool and interesting. And we appreciate you coming here, being on the show. Um, hopefully, if you're hearing this, this made air. I've recorded <laughs> it properly and everything goes well. Um, but thank you for coming on the show. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, next week, I'm going to be back to review all-star junior festival as well as the impact slash new japan multiverse united whatever that show is called um if you've enjoyed today's show please consider making a donation visit socialsuplex.com slash donate click on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo make sure to connect with us on social media on twitter facebook instagram and reddit you can also email the show jeremy at socialsuplex.com Check out all of our other shows on the Social, Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio with Rich Ladd and James Boyd, All Things Elite with Floyd, Ju- Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. Floyd will be joining me next week for my review and The Wrestling Disaster with Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.